Bizzle. We call the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Yo, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah, the Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to a very special Bizzlecast today. Because today I have on. A friend from Facebook who is a very active member of the Bizzlecast page. In fact, the most active member, uh, um, or one of the most active members on the Bizzlecast Facebook page, which is my main presence online. I have some wonderful, wonderful men and women who participate, uh, but this man and I talk offline as well, and he's always contributing great stuff. He's a deep dive guy. He knows about the more obscure properties as well as the mainstream stuff. We're going to start a little bit after the intro talking about the Marvel Star Wars Disney bomb the last week or two, but he's a DC Comics guy, and the bulk of the conversation is going to be about DC on TV, streaming, and film, but I'd like to start on sort of a related but different topic. Um, but first, uh, Jason, uh, welcome to the Bizzlecast. It's great to have you on, finally. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on. Um, if you don't mind, just uh, tell the Bizzlecast listeners a little bit uh, where you're at, where you're from, uh, you know, roughly what you do, um, and we'll, we'll certainly get into your hobbies and interests as this goes along. Um, I'm from Pennsburg, Pennsylvania, and yeah. I am in the film business. And a Philadelphia sports fan. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yes, God bless us all. <laughs> it's not like we needed another connection, but the Philadelphia sports thing is great. Yeah, uh, it's been a little rough with the Phillies this year. <laughs> so, um, I before we do the little Marvel, uh, Star Wars, Disney intro, and that'll lead into the DC Comics discussion, I have to ask, how if you remember, how did you discover my page slash uh, podcast? Um, I'm not asking for like praise or anything. I'm just always curious how people discover what, what, what I'm doing. I think I discovered your podcast because I was looking for a commentary for Age of Ultron. Oh yeah, baby. That. I'm the only one and it's a great commentary if I do say so myself. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's how I discovered you because I was looking for a positive Ultron commentary. My favorite Avengers movie. Uh, terms of rewatches i stick with it i love the second movie i love empire strikes back i love the dark knight i love the two towers i even like the matrix reloaded but i really like age of ultron and i I cannot understand the dislike of that movie by people but i completely tuned it out because i was so in love with hawkeye widow and scarlet witch and lo and behold they're all getting major movies and or tv properties all these years later so uh, i feel pretty good about that yeah it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get into that in a minute. Um, so, uh, really quickly, um, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to save the DC Comics for the main section, obviously. Um, but if you cast your mind back, when did you start getting into the stuff? Is this something from childhood, and then you went away from it, and then came back? It's something that's always been in your life. Did it start with DC Comics? Did it move around? Like I, Just a little history. Well, I think it started because of when I was younger I had surgery and I was at home and I, I just sat home and watched all these movies and most of the movies that I honor at the time were the comic book movies. So I would have the original Spider-Man on TV or, uh, the 89 Batman or Batman begins. So I think that's where my love really came from. It I was that, and then it amplified once the dark Knight came up. I really got into it. It's been quite a journey. X-Men and X2 and Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 took the world by storm. 
you know, X2 didn't make a ton of money, but they were loved films and critically acclaimed, and true fans loved them. Spider-Man obviously made a ton of money. If we have time later, we can maybe talk about Spider-Man. I think you know me well enough to know he's not one of my priorities. It's yeah, not that I, I dislike know. him, but I'm, I'm not nearly as upset like by a fraction as most people. Yeah, well, that I think I like them because I, when I was younger, I got like a whole bunch of the old Spider-Man comics. So that's where I really got into it. So that's where my love gave it. Why don't we just bridge into the MCU then um, and the major announcements um, just for a little context. Um, So I was at Star Wars Celebration in April um, and, you know, they had announced The Mandalorian, Clone Wars, and the Cassian show well before then, but uh, certainly everything a couple days ago was confirmed, and more so Obi-Wan Kenobi, etc., etc., um, by Kathleen Kennedy and Ewan McGregor himself, which was wonderful. Uh, I think Star Wars is, is killing it. I, I've really liked all the Star Wars movies, even like The Last Jedi, which I have some mixed feelings about. I've really liked. I've liked the cartoons. I've pretty much liked everything that come out of Star Wars. Marvel, on the other hand, uh, Jason, I, of the 25 or so movies, I can rank the top 10, but the 15 after that, I have trouble because I don't love any of them, and I have all of them between like a B- and B-plus kind of thing. Uh, maybe we'll get into our rankings later um, of comic book movies in general. I always like to do that. Um, so I'll let you address this in two ways because it was a Marvel bomb and then it was a, 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 a secondary bombing by Star Wars showing us the amazing Mandalorian trailer, the Ewan reveal, Clone Wars sooner than maybe we thought. Cassian was, uh, I'm sorry, Diego Luna was there with Alan Tudyk being adorable. I mean, just so, so great. Um, five major Marvel movies, five major Marvel shows, bringing back people like Peggy Carter and fan favorites, putting Bucky and, and, and Sam Wilson in a show, giving Black Widow the Avengers slot in May 1st, 2020. I did a whole podcast. Doctor Strange with the Scarlet Witch after WandaVision. Um, so I'll let you either jump in specifically about Marvel here or if you'd rather comment about just the entire Disney Plus bomb over the last few weeks. Well, it's been crazy. I mean, it's like post after post when I was when I would check on my Twitter feed of everything Star Wars and Marvel. It's just crazy of all the stuff they just threw out there. But the one that really got me excited was yes. Ewan McGregor as Kenobi because I mean, I don't I know people don't like the the prequels, but he was got to be the best part of the prequels and just to see him back what us fans wanted was him as Kenobi and it wasn't a movie like I thought it was going to be but a TV show is pretty cool so I think a TV show is better because I'd like this to be a small character based story with maybe just a couple characters I actually started working like for reals um on uh, a couple of years ago on an Ahsoka Obi-Wan book that takes place between episode three, episode four, where Obi-Wan's in the desert kind of losing his mind and Ahsoka comes and they go on an adventure in Tatooine because, of course, you can't leave Tatooine with Luke there, but they travel through time and they discover all sorts of crazy Jedi stuff, but it's mostly just them talking and philosophizing. I'm very proud of it. It turned into a short story, but as soon as all the Ahsoka stuff started being announced and then word was coming that the Obi-Wan story was happening, I'm like, 
even though I do have an in with Star Wars and I do have an in with the, the story group, uh, um, I maybe like one in a million chance could get it through. They already have their canon written for all this, so I'm hoping it's Ahsoka or a related character or a couple of characters, and it's a relatively small story like with Cassian and K2 is going to be just a lot of Cassian and K2, which I'm really excited for. But just as your Obi-Wan comments... Would you agree with me that even people who like openly hated the prequels and were like nasty about it, like at at worst had nothing bad to say about Ewan, and a lot of them would even admit that they liked Ewan as Obi Wan is like the only thing other than maybe um, you know Palpatine. Yes, most people will say the prequels were bad, but McGregor's Obi Wan was the best thing about the movies. Some people would say. And Palpatine is also the thing, along with Obi-Wan, that connects the prequel generation and my generation, which is the original trilogy generation. I mean, I was born a little bit after those movies came out, but that was, I'm an original trilogy guy. I, you know, Rogue One's my favorite Star Wars movie, specifically because it sets up the original trilogy in such a great way. Um, and I've talked about Rogue One ad, ad nauseum, uh, but Palpatine's the thing that ties it together. And I was at Celebration Man, and when they showed that first teaser trailer with Rey against Kylo's tie and everything, people were already pumped and getting into it, even if they were skeptical. But when they heard the Emperor's laugh, and then Ian McDermott came out on stage and confirmed that, the, that Palpatine was in it, it was like the most brilliant thing they could have done until now with Obi-Wan, but even more with Palpatine, because Palpatine for different reasons, is the one character that sequel people and prequel people love. Yes. And I have, a, I don't know, when, when the fir- when the Obi-Wan movie was announced, I thought they might have tried to go, might, might try to pull like a Logan with Obi-Wan and make it like a smaller story when they first announced it. That's what I think they're doing. I mean, Cassian is going to definitely be dark because um, he's killing people in Rogue One and this is before Rogue One. <laughs> So, he's going to be capping motherfuckers. Um, Obviously, The Mandalorian is going for Game of Thrones Star Wars Edition, which is totally fine. Of course, we've got the Game of Thrones director supposedly directing uh, movies starting in 2022. We will see about that. Um, For those Last Jedi haters out there, sorry guys, Ryan Johnson is definitely getting at least another movie or two. Um, And as someone who wasn't crazy about Last Jedi, I do really like Ryan Johnson's work overall and him being able to tell story in a totally different time in a different place not tied to skywalkers and all this baggage i think we'll do a great job and that will be dark too um i don't know if you noticed the order of of operations man but all the star wars announcements were at the end ending with the mandalorian which was super dark they were killing people the whole thing was like high school musical and anna kendrick in a christmas movie and then all of a sudden you've got bounty hunters and stormtroopers murdering people and it's not a coincidence that the mandalorian is the launch show for grown-ups um and they're not holding back on that um i i I, i'm going to give you a, a bit and you can tell me if you agree with this. I always say that Disney didn't buy Star Wars uh, in spite of the fact that it's a dark property relative to what it is at PG-13, but because it's a dark property, because even Marvel... Despite the so-called apocalyptic stakes, Marvel is ultimately a popcorny movie. Whereas Star Wars gets really dark. Not just Rogue One; they definitively in Solo, the saga movies kill tons of good guys and tons of bad guys. Genocide, murder, um, you know, patricide. I mean, all you know, everything you can think of with Star Wars. 
Uh, if you don't mind, because Star Wars is my true love, I do want to hear about Marvel. Um, where uh, Have you ever been a big Star Wars fan? Do you see it because it's a cool genre property? Like, where is it in your sort of priority list? Well, before there was Spider-Man for me, there was Star Wars, yeah. which was my was my biggest love of, which really introduced my love of films. So that, will, that kind of tells all you need to know about me and do, Star Wars. Really do you remember your, I like to ask people this, do you, what's your first Star Wars memory? It can be big or small. I think it was in 99 when the Phantom Menace was released and they showed like, the, like there's like, like cups and stuff and they had like Anakin Skywalker on a pod racer. I'm like, what is that? So you're Saturday. a young man. I won't ask you your age, but you're clearly younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember when they, I, I remember they used to have, they had the commercials where like Yoda used to force to get himself a diet, Dr. Mm. Pepper or something like that. So <laughs> can I ask you roughly, you, you can decline roughly. How old were you when you saw Phantom Menace? I don't, I for the forget. record, I'm 37. I, I, well, I really don't. I really don't remember. So <laughs> that's. I mean, were you in elementary thing. school? Were you in high school? I think I was in elementary. Okay, right? you're in elementary school. So really quickly, Phantom Menace comes out. Tons of hype. Everyone wants Star Wars back. Very problematic. Young Anakin, the midichlorians, the Gungans. So many problems. But you and McGregor and Liam Neeson and Darth Maul. Those three were obviously amazing um both acting wise and fighting wise and it was a great story and natalie portman kicked total ass in that first movie and so it made a billion dollars and people were like okay we'll give the second one uh a try because this is finally the clone wars movie that we've been waiting for since 1977 well here's the problem jason attack of the clones is not about the clone wars in fact it doesn't start until the last minute of the movie it's about a really really sappy and impossible to believe creepy love story between young anakin and an older woman who is somehow seduced by by this this punky kid and attack of the clones for me is unwatchable but i know people who grew up with the prequels not only can stand or like some of them even love attack of the clones which is totally cool and then Revenge of the Sith came after people had basically given up on Star Wars. The reviews were quite good for Revenge of the Sith, and the fact that it went up a few hundred million from Attack of the Clones um, and made decent money and got decent reviews, but it was still too long, didn't make total sense with Anakin's turn, in my opinion, and then, you know, it, it just got way too melodramatic at the end. And they turned Natalie Portman into a woman in Refrigerator, which we're going to talk about when we get to the CW later and maybe some other properties. Um well- I think that was because uh, Natalie Portman didn't want to be in episode three, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not an excuse for George Lucas writing her poorly, because that just would make her... I think she didn't want to be in three because she kicked a lot of ass in one. She kicked a decent amount of ass in two, and then they wrote her to be a helpless pregnant princess who went from being smart, assertive, in charge, to dumb, naive you know, like hopelessly naive um, and just, you know, a complete passive player. And 
you know, well, I have to agree with most people that Revenge of the Sith is the best of the, the three overall. The treatment of Natalie Portman uh, was pretty horrible. And we could bridge to, to, to Marvel here. There was a lot of us who speculated Natalie would come to Celebration because it's the 20th anniversary of Phantom Menace, and this will be a great time to come back to the fan base, and we thought she'd get a great reception. That didn't happen. She chose Marvel instead because they actually have a role for her as the Mighty Thor, and she got the biggest applause of anybody as far as I can tell. Um, what did you think of that ginormous Marvel reveal? Were you prepared for that many movies, that many shows? The fact that all 10 run basically from May 2020 through the end of 2021. Like they haven't, like we know Black Panther and Captain Marvel 2 are going to be in 2022, but still, that's that's a lot of properties. Um, what was your reaction with all of those announcements uh, generally? And then I want to ask you about a couple specific properties. Uh, I just, I saw it and I'm just like, well, first, when it first came out, people were leaving st- some properties off. I was watching it as it was breaking, so I'm like trying to figure out, all right, which ones. I was trying to figure out which ones were real, which ones weren't, because people were trying to put out some fake ones and also on Twitter. So you gotta. I mean, I but, thought the Eternals was fake, and I was hoping it was. <laughs> That's a different story. I I honestly thought that Chain Chi was fake because I didn't think that was actually going to happen. <laughs> so I yeah, think that. after the bad optics of the way they treated Asian religion and culture and Doctor Strange and then again in Iron Fist even though when you look closely at both those properties it wasn't that disrespectful but just the lack of an Asian lead I f- plus this brings in the cool mysticism and since Doctor Strange and Elizabeth Olsen are going to be going to whole different dimensions even way beyond what we've seen in either X-Men or the time travel at Avengers Endgame in my opinion um, we see it at the end with Dormammu and Doctor Strange 1 obviously but we're going to see lots and lots of crazy dimensions you know kevin feige's described it as a horror film i don't know if i believe that it's gonna be pg-13 but it'll be a little scarier and when wanda gets gets creepy and weird she gets a little creepy and weird like at the beginning of ultron um you know when she's screwing with everybody um so let me ask you uh we'll just group the movies and and then we'll, we'll get to dc after this uh we'll group the five movies and five tv shows together which two or three are you most interested in with the caveat that interest could be confusion or i mean you just mentioned one um cheng chi um but which ones are are you most interested in or just curious about um and uh mention whether you sort of expected it to happen or whether it was a total surprise just pick any of them well the cheng chi one interests me because you know they really they really messed up mandarin iron man 3 so and maybe we might actually get the Mandarin who has the uh, the rings that he found from a spacecraft and just make these rings that can shoot stuff out like fire and stuff out of this ring. So that might be interesting. Mm. Just finally see that on film. So, so let me, I'll run through it and you can jump in. Black Widow, yeah. we all wanted it. We thought maybe the time had passed. But when you look at the the story now, around 2016, after Ultron, Winter Soldier, and then Civil War, it became clear that there was so much to mind with Natasha. I'm thrilled they're not doing a straight prequel. I had predicted it was going to take place after the Winter Soldier. It takes place after Civil War, so it's basically 
the same time period and she's going back to Russia to deal with her past. I think we'll get flashbacks. I think we'll get the Budapest Hawkeye thing. I'm pretty sure he'll be in it. My guess is Captain America, uh, some combination of, of team cap, Buck, you know, which includes Bucky, uh, and Sam who have a TV show that's following hot on the heels of black widow. But I think beginning considering, uh, I mean, you know, again, uh, uh, some of this is for the listeners, Jason, because I don't know. I, I know you follow pretty closely, but you know, yeah. I, I talked to my my Scarlet podcast about if you look at all the May releases over the last eight to ten years, it's Iron Man, Cap, Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy. The fact that Black Widow is like their Avengers movie, and they haven't announced any famous, really famous Marvel actors other than Widow yet, I think Captain America because Cap's alive during that period and they're buddies and she turns to sides from Tony Stark to stop Black Panther to help Cap in the end as we knew she probably would. I would be shocked. They're old friends. Chris Evans has said he'll be Captain America anytime they want him to be. I know we're getting Black Widow. I know we're getting Thor. I would be not upset, but I would honestly be shocked if Chris Evans doesn't show up for at least a couple minutes during that, but maybe not. And you know what? Part of me hopes it's just Natasha and a mostly cast of like the guy from Stranger Things and Rachel Weisz, who I absolutely adore, like great actors, but not necessarily super famous people. Because if Scarlet can make Captain Marvel money or even Avengers money by herself, that would be such an accomplishment. What are your expectations for the Black Widow movie? She says it's the most hand-to-hand fighting, even more than Winter Soldier in a recent interview. Yeah, I, I really have no expectations. I'm just going to go in just surprised, but I. I'm just surprised we're finally going to get Taskmaster in a movie, which is like a villain that can like copy any hero's moves because he has like a photographic memory and just mm-hmm. and can just use their moves against them and stuff. So that'd be interesting to finally see. Sort of like um, uh, Dex in season three of Daredevil, kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Um, in terms of the shows, again. I've said from the beginning, everything is going to... After the Black Panther announcement, after seeing Winter Soldier, and then after seeing Ultron, I said everything going forward is going to go through some combination of Team Cap and Wakanda. And so far, that has definitely been the case. And while there's been tons and tons of cosmic stuff in Phase 3, which I haven't been a giant fan of a lot, um, which I'm not going to go into now. I've gone into plenty in the past... Um, even Thor Ragnarok, which I was expecting to be like my favorite Marvel movie ever. Nevertheless, I'm very happy Taika's coming back with Tessa, Chris Hemsworth, and Dudley Portman. Obviously, I think he's going to nail it. Um, you know, they were all having to set up. Joss Whedon was having to set up stuff, and the Russos were having to set up Thanos, and they kept having to set up Thanos, 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 Thanos. I'm re- I'm ready to be post in the post Thanos uh, Marvel world. Uh, but that being said, Team Cap. Widow, Bucky, the win- uh, aka Winter Soldier, Sam Wilson, aka Falcon, Hawkeye, and WandaVision, basically all members of Team Cap. Um, and then, of course, we're getting Black Panther 2, which is going to be the main movie of 2022. I do want to mention, uh, do you know what the main movie of 2021 is? Uh, In terms of the Big Money off- Avengers movie? I'm not, not offhand. I don't really, I can't, I don't remember anymore. I, did a few weeks ago, but I don't remember anymore. <laughs> it fills me with unbelievable expectation, which is Doctor Strange and Wanda. Oh, that's oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So, so think I, about this: three years in a row, Jason, the, in the Avengers spot of the first week of May, you have the Black Widow. Uh, 
as the Avengers movie. And then you have Wanda, who people didn't even know a few years ago how long she was going to stick around. I predicted from the beginning, because of her X-Men connection, that she would be the thing that ties everything together. And I think that's what's going to happen. And so you have Doctor Strange, who's kind of weird. He made decent money. You have the Scarlet Witch, who went from people liking to people really liking to people really being fascinated by. And she's the one who's going between the movies and television constantly. And then Black Panther, you know, in 2022 is the main movie. Unbelievable. A female lead, a co-female lead, and then Wakanda, three years in a row as, as Marvel's movies. And dude, with the announcements, you know I don't shy away from this, with the announcements of She-Hulk and Miss Marvel, we are all thrilled. And you know I cover 80% female badasses in general on my podcast and on my page. Um, it's something I'm passionate about as a feminist and just a lover of these young badass actresses. But Disney has been less and less shy about saying F you to a certain hateful population of the country, and they're just going for it. They're embracing the prequels openly in Star Wars, which no one thought was going to happen, and they're embracing young female and people of color across the board um, and so forth. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of fan casting for She-Hulk. She-Hulk. But the one I keep seeing everyone wants for She-Hulk right now is... uh, your girl for Gloria Dawson. Rosario? Yeah. I don't think she wants to be a superhero lead. I think she likes the Claire Temple role. Of course, we all want her to be a Sokotano, but we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I hope it happens. I mean, she looks like Ahsoka. Her personality is like Ahsoka. And the hardest part is, you know, Ashley Eckstein has a very high-pitched voice, even with older Ahsoka. It's sort of mid-range. Um, and Rosario has a very kind of husky, uh, smoky, sultry voice, which is extremely sexy and just easy to listen to in general as an actress. I, I listen to her read audiobooks and stuff like that. It's phenomenal. She does great voice work. And because she does great voice work in audiobooks and cartoons, I think she could pull it off. Um, or they have some merger, so something with Ashley Eckstein's voice. But remember, she. my prediction has been always that it would be Episode Nine or the Obi-Wan story, all of which takes place quite a bit after Clone Wars and Rebels. And so she'd be, you know, much older. And so her voice getting deeper and Rosario doing a little lilt with her voice. She looks like her. Rosario's the ultimate nerd girl. She loves Marvel. She's in the Disney family. And she'd be perfect for it. Ahsoka's been my totally left field prediction for like a year and a half to be in episode nine. Um, and uh, well, we will see. We, we will see about that. Um, any other? Um, uh, well, let me ask you really quickly. Um, so what do you think just about the concept of a really, really, really bizarre kind of WandaVision uh, TV series um, that's going to be very just bizarre and weird um, as he rediscovers himself as a new AI, I'm assuming. And and she already knows him and he doesn't know her. So that's going to be them having like a bizarre domestic life. Like we see briefly in civil war, putting her into the movies. I've always said for her age and level of talent going, you've heard my Ultron podcast. We talked about um, off, um, uh, off, uh, off mic. I don't know when you listen to it, but I recorded that almost exactly four years ago. And as you know, I'm just 
going off about how great Elizabeth Olsen is and, and how she understands how her powers are manifested. She's the right personality for Wanda. You're rooting for her, but you can see her going crazy. My prediction is the craziness really starts happening uh, with Doctor Strange, and then Loki is right after Doctor Strange, so I would not be surprised if Loki starts meddling. That's exactly the kind of thing he would do, And but like usual with Loki, his evil plans get out of his control, and then it, it goes, you know, in a totally like in a totally different direction than he's hoping or expecting. And she's going to be the one to reboot the X Men because it'll be the House of M. They've already established it in canon with Fox now with Cable and Hope from the future. That's exactly the X Men Messiah Complex story. I'm sorry, I could go on and on and on. But what do you think about the, that that notion of of someone like Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff going sort of in and out as a main character in movies and television? Well, it excites me about Loki is we're not going to get Ragnarok Loki. We're getting Endgame Loki, who has not been uh, turned yet. So he's he's still he's still the evil Loki that wants to take over New York and stuff. So that's the different Loki. But with uh, you know the WandaVision stuff, I think something's going to happen with the Doctor Strange because we are going through the multiverse, so, mm. which is a very big concept. And, we might find a different version of the vision. Maybe it's one who is human or maybe it's one who's like evil or something. You never know what's Mm going to happen there. So, so just because I've never said this on the podcast, this is both a pat on the back, but also an admission of neglect, which is in Ultron, I very openly multiple times predict that there's going to be a relationship between the Scarlet Witch and Vision. But this, Jason, was before I d- had deep dive back into Marvel of the last 20 years. And so I didn't know that they were a thing in the comics. I literally made the prediction because Joss Whedon set it up so beautifully and subtly in the movie. And then, of course, I also predicted that she would be heartbroken when the mind gem was ripped out of his head, which is exactly what happened four years later. Um, but I like that about Marv, about the MCU. Is it predict? at times sure is it formulaic but you know i don't know if you listen to either or both of my endgame predictions but like i pretty much predicted all the first act i predicted time travel quantum physics the whole thing um but it didn't bother me because it was executed so differently and so awesomely um but i like that that if you read into it you can kind of get a feel of what's going on star wars especially in the saga movies it's, it's hard to know where ray and kylo is gonna go um and it's only three movies um but does that make sense that the mcu kind of telegraphs what what they're gonna do but because they've got great directors like the russos gun weed and all and everyone out and take that it works um that you kind of know what's gonna happen in some ways yeah it's i you can it, sometimes you can but sometimes it isn't but you know but i just look for an enjoyable movie like you know just keep up the pace and stuff and something that's not really like overly boring and stuff so i just look for a fun time usually with the mcu I think Thor Love and Thunder is going to be spectacular. 
give Taika Waititi a second shot. All his other movies are good. Ragnarok had problems, mostly because he had to set up stuff. When Taika got to be Taika in Ragnarok, I thought it was great. Um, and the fact that they used a lot of his you know, characters and material and so forth in uh, uh, the Final Avengers movies was awesome. Thor, obviously, you know, everyone's always loved Thor and Hemsworth. He's gone to another level in terms of comedy and drama. Um, and, and, and he was the one actor I really wanted to make sure stayed into the next phase because he's the youngest, the most charismatic, great looking, amazing talent. And when he has great material, he absolutely nails it. And I think Taika's going to nail that. Um, I, I'm not surprised Natalie got so much love because the the vocal part of the Comic-Con slash Star Wars fan base has really rallied the last couple of years around female characters, people of color. But even people like uh, Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar, Kelly Marie Tran, who got a lot of hate for being Rose and Last Jedi because people didn't like her in that movie and so forth. I mean, you would never know it at Star Wars Celebration. She was getting screams and cheers and standing ovations everywhere she went. So the, 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 would you agree with me? I'm not going to put you on the spot, but would you agree that the, the, um, the very, very, very extremist, hateful, negative people online, they just seem like they're a lot of, a lot of people, but it's probably like five or 10% at most. They're just really extremely loud. Yes. Yes. Most of them like to, like to post this stuff to get a rise at people. But the problem is, is when you, when you message them back, they usually p- apologize and don't say that stuff. Anymore. Yeah, there's there's no filter, and Twitter Twitter makes it really hard, you know, to delete oh. large sections of stuff, which you should be able to do. Uh, I can't stay on Twitter very long because it would drive me insane. So I, yeah, I go on what? for a little bit. What, what I do is I just follow actors, musicians, directors, um, celebrities, pol- you know, politicians, or just political voices. Um, I, I mostly get you know news and updates com- combined between Twitter and Instagram because let's be honest, most female a- actors, sorry, most female actors. And female like musicians and other celebrities have moved to Instagram because Twitter is just so full of hateful trolls, and Instagram is really really easy to moderate, and no one really reads the comments anyways. And since it's 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 you know photo based, it's a lot more civil of an environment somehow. I'm sure you've probably noticed that trend, whether you use Instagram or not. You don't see. I mean, Rosario is, is still on Twitter, and, and a few others just because they've got backbone. Tia Sirkar, my girl who plays Sabine. Uh, Rebels, who you know, in the picture I always use, who I absolutely love and got to meet at celebration. A couple of them have very strong backbones and are happy to go after the trolls in polite but solid ways uh, on Twitter. But m- many have left because of the trolling; it's absolutely horrible. Um, and uh, that's just the state of social media. Uh, that's why I'm I'm sad to see the state of Facebook because Facebook two or three years ago, I was like, this is such clearly the better social media platform, but th- they made a lot of mistakes. But thank you. This is a good place to thank you and everyone the Bizzlecast. I haven't really lost any fans over the last three or four years. And when I only get a you know, handful per week or month, it just keeps growing. And people have been super positive. And as I told you, I've only had to block or remove like two or three people the whole time. It's been super positive. So thank you guys out there. Um, and thank you, Jason. And okay, buddy. Now it is time to get into the heart of things with DC Comics. Now, 
you as a fan of the podcast know I have a slew of DC contributors. Although they haven't been on in a while. I have Maddie G., who's a sports reporter in New England, who's a hardcore DC fan. I got the two Australians, Alistair and Brick Girl, both of whom have not been on for a while, though Alistair's coming back on soon, who are major DC fans, although, like you, they also appreciate Star Wars and Marvel and other Disney stuff, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, people who come on who love to talk about DC comics. So really quickly, dude, before we get into the shows and the movies, because I have questions about the shows, because I'm very confused about all the different channels the shows are on and the connectivity and so forth. We won't get into all of it, but maybe we can t- you know, broach the, the surface at least. When did you get into DC comics? What was your first love or your first loves in terms of characters or properties? And we'll just go from there. Well, no one can tell by now. My first love of DC Comics is uh, Batman. I'm a big Batman guy, so that's like one of my first loves. And the comic that got me into DC was um, there's an old comic in the 90s called Batman the Long Halloween, which is a detective comic. So, and that one was really cool. So that, that's the one that really got me into DC and stuff. So just so you have an idea of where I'm at with DC Comics, I have a pile in front of me. Now, I've, I have most of my comics, including Marvel, at my mom's house because I, I don't have a very big apartment. But I have the entire run of Greg Rucka's Rebirth Wonder Woman because I got super into Wonder Woman leading up to the movie. And I love Wonder Woman, the movie, obviously. And I'm most pumped. Let's put it this way. I'm as pumped for Wonder Woman next year as I am for Black Widow, easily. Um, We will get to that. So I have volumes 1 through 25 uh, of the the Rebirth Wonder Woman, which is mostly how the movie plays out, but with some twists, including Cheetah, who we're getting with Kristen Wiig next year, which I'm very excited about. I have a bunch of Rebirth Supergirl and um, a a mix of Rebirth and... um, uh, Oh, now I'm blanking. What was the one before... uh, that Batwoman was based on oh. what's that? New Fifty Two. Uh, new Fifty Two. Yeah. Yeah. I have some. Um, I have a lot of New Fifty Two uh, Batman's, and I have some Flash, but I really don't like the New Fifty Two Flash because they decided to make Captain Cold have Mister Freeze powers, which I didn't. So what drew what, what drew you to so let me just tell you a quick story um about Batman and my dad uh, who I always talk about on the podcast because we see all these movies together but somehow even though my dad is an out and out Christopher Nolan fanboy loves all of Christopher Nolan's movies he loves Christian Bale he loves Maggie Gyllenhaal he knew he he knew Heath Ledger was going to be great all the actors, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, but somehow he had never seen The Dark Knight. So he's at a new house. He got, you know, he's retired now. So he splurged on like 110 inch, you know, 4K HD projector in his basement. And I was like, all right, dad, first movie we're watching is 4K UHD, The Dark Knight in the basement. And he was completely blown away and couldn't believe it. And then we saw the captain, we watched Winter Soldier together a few days later, which had always been our favorite. And we sort of talked about it. And we're like, we love Winter Soldier and the Avengers, but it's hard to deny that the Dark Knight's still the best. And the fact that most comic book fans, DC or Marvel, and non-comic book fans all basically say Dark Knight's the best or one of the best is really interesting. So what has kept you attracted to Batman 
over the years. You can talk about the animated series. You can talk about the some good, some bad movies in the 80s and 90s. You can talk about the rebirth with the Batman Begins and Christopher Nolan's trilogy, which then they decided to take completely out of movie canon and start from scratch with Ben Affleck, which kind of failed. Why don't we go on a Batman tangent? Take, take me on a little tour of, of, of Jimbo and Batman. Well, well, it's, well, I mean, we shouldn't be talking about, we, it's funny we're talking about Batman today because, you know, today is the 10th anniversary of the Batman Arkham games because that was one of my other big intros into Batman was the Arkham game series. So, if like, we got Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker. Mark Hamill as the Joker, absolutely. He was the Joker also in the animated series as Kevin Conroy was Batman. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, some people, some younger people, that that game series, they say that is their Batman. That's the Batman they they love. I mean, when a character has been around for 80 years, you can ha- always have your favorite version of that character. If it's the movies, it's the TV show, if it's the comics, you know. Uh, my, my favorite version, I think it's a mixture between... The Arkham Knight, the Arkham Asylum series, and the animated series. Because even though that was made in the 90s, when you watch it today, that that series still holds up pretty hard. Oh, so. if, if I could afford the Blu-ray set right now, I would absolutely watch the whole thing. I still remember it so vividly, and I watch clips online. Uh, it, it's it's so great. It, it's so spec. I mean, until Spider Verse, I mean, it was so clearly the greatest accomplishment. Uh, and animated um, uh, uh, superhero stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. Spider Verse is better. I'm just saying there wasn't like a transcendent, you know, uh, animated series for cartoons that it was widely acclaimed and watched. And, and and I know like nowadays they're starting to go a little crazier now with Batman because I think it was last year they released this crazy anime movie called Batman Ninja, which was. It felt like they're trying to do their own Spider-Verse, but it got really crazy and people didn't like it because I don't... Am, am I, is it okay if I uh, spoil real quick? Yes, spoilers. Uh, just think what you're spoiling, but yeah, spoiler, spoilers. Yeah, so there's this anime movie that came out in Japan called Batman Ninja. It was like 3D and stuff. So they go back in time because Grill Grodd makes a time machine and they go back to Japan and you find out that these villains take over Japan and they make giant mechs versions of the villains. So you got giant Joker mech, a two-faced mech, a uh, penguin mech with an umbrella, and a poison ivy mech, and a deathstroke mech. So it's very odd and weird. And and that really uh, tore some Bat fans into the vibe because they did not like that at all. I'm really glad you brought up the the, the um, video game, if you don't mind me yeah. addressing that. I've played through a good amount of Arkham Asylum. I've played through a good amount of Arkham City. I would have uh, like 95%ed Arkham Knight, but the fucking Batmobile got so annoying, I just gave up. I played probably 50 hours of Arkham Knight. I freaking loved it. 
it was just it was Batmobile, Batmobile, Batmobile. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go back to my PS3 and play Arkham City again, to be honest. But if you don't mind, um, my version of this, uh, well, that was different because you you liked Batman and that helped you like you know come back to it or reach a new level or whatever. It sounds like for me, that's The Witcher. The Witcher Three is a game I love, love, love. Huge open world RPGs, but a lot of them like. Skyrim and the Bethesda games tend to be very, very buggy. But I'm a PlayStation guy, and I love Horizon Zero Dawn, and I know it took a lot from The Witcher 3. While The Witcher 3 is a little janky and looks not amazing on PlayStation 3, I fell in love with the story, ended up putting like 150 hours in, didn't even finish it, it's so huge. And now, not only have I read via audiobook all eight official Witcher books written by this Polish guy who's an absolute genius, he's every bit the writing genius of Tolkien. I would say, actually, he's a, he's a better pure writer than Tolkien, or George Martin like he's he's an A plus writer who happens to be writing in a bizarre fantasy genre I'm now going back and re-listening to them and cannot wait for the Netflix series and whatever you think about Henry Cavill guys I happen to like him I like Justice League and part of the reason I like Justice League is because finally we got to see Henry Cavill smile and be the Superman that we all know and love after so much darkness uh, and and lack of smiling and seriousness Uh, whatever you think about the other movies I actually like really liked him in Justice League. But the thing is, man, Geralt, the lead character who he's playing, while he's normally the lead character, the women in his life, his adoptive daughter, Siri, who's like Luke Skywalker or Rey, and the various sorceresses. It's a very feminist work. His best friend is a troubadour who's uh, Lothario, constantly sleeping with women and lazy, but he's super loyal, named Dandelion. It's an absolutely great cast of characters. So if Henry Cavill just plays it stoic with occasional humanity, he's going to nail it. So my point is, that was a case where a video game very specifically got me into a series that I don't think I would have normally read. Yeah, well, I think people should, should realize Henry Cavill was also good in Man from Uncle because he was kind of the uh, James Bond, but not really James Bond of that movie. So, but yeah, like I think Arkham Origins or the Arkham Asylum series. I walked really out on that movie, me. by the way. I never what? walk out on movies. I walked out on Mission Impossible, but I did like Cavill in it. Uh, I was talking about Man from Uncle. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, well, anyway, uh, yeah. I did walk out on the Mission Impossible movie. I'm never seeing a Tom Cruise Hollywood movie again. And Cavill's sort of cheesy but very human character. I was, I was like the one redeeming part of a, a oppressive. I don't like oppressively dark movies. If, if I'm going to have a dark movie, I want the end of the world like Rogue One, Children of Men, brilliant filmmaking. Like not, you know, I'm sorry. Like I'm not trying to get into a fight with you or anyone, but Suicide Squad, it was particularly Batman v Superman. Man, I, I just, I, I just don't. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to me. I've been very open that I respect Zack Snyder and I feel bad about his situation, but I just don't like his filmmaking. And the fact that I like Justice League and I know Joss Whedon was at least forty or fifty percent involved, it can't be a coincidence. Although I know Snyder did a bunch of things in Justice League that I liked because him and Joss are buddies, and if they had been able to actually collaborate together. From beginning to end, it would have been amazing. That's a whole nother story. Um, so I am excited about the Wonder Woman tone. This is a great transition, man. This is a great transition if you're cool going into the recent movies. Yeah. Yep. Which is, yep. well, Wonder Woman 
First of all, everyone loves Themyscira. The biggest complaint about Wonder Woman is people just wanted more Themyscira. It was so beautiful and different from anything they had ever seen. And all these amazing women doing amazing things. But even though it was very dark in terms of World War One, which was the even though World War Two killed way more people, uh, World War One with the trench warfare it was so brutal. But when she goes into no man's land, that entire extended scene just chills and tears every single time. And even though spoiler alert, Chris Pine dies, and a lot of and a whole village of people get gassed, and some bad things happen, it's a very uplifting story, both in terms of in terms of Diana's wanting to love people, and then briefly turning her back on them, and then realizing that love is the true. I mean, that's her superpower is love, or one of her superpowers is lost on people, I think, uh, which is amazing, um, and that's where she draws her reserves from, I should say, rather than anger or hatred, she draws it from love. Um, and uh, it was kind of you know it, it was colorful even in World War One because of Gal Gadot and her you know they did just enough. Um, but then you had the very blown out Aquaman. Um, and full disclosure, guys, uh, Jason knows this. I have not seen Aquaman. I have not seen Shazam. But I also didn't see movies like X Men: Dark Phoenix and John Wick Three. Which if I had, if someone had asked me a year ago, I would have been like, I'm definitely seeing at least X-Men Dark Phoenix. X-Men's my love from you. So I've been sort of just out of the nerd property sphere uh, for a while. I've mostly heard good things about Aquaman. I've only heard good things about Shazam. Um, So I would love to hear your uh, opinion on either or both of those films because they both succeeded wildly at different levels of money and in different ways but they were definitely both resounding successes and along with wonder woman a big bounce back for dc jason ritter shazam aquaman go well you don't have to see um dark phoenix it that's okay because it was terrible so. I, I would see it anyways because it's terrible because I love the cast, even though I know it's terrible. But because I know they're going to erase all of this lore, it, 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 it's even making me less motivated. Yeah. Well, I tell um, people, I, people ask me, they're like, are they really going to throw away everything from, from not only the Marvel, uh, I'm sorry, not only the mainline X-Men, but Deadpool and Logan? And I say, Logan was a beautiful movie, dark movie that was a standalone. If you want to know the future of the X-Verse, watch Deadpool 2. There was more lore from the last 20 years having to do with Hope, Cable, Deadpool, Domino, and what's going to be known as X-Force, which is a rated R property, which is why they bought Hulu to put their rated R stuff on. Deadpool, guys, don't worry. It's still going to be rated R. They're not going to PG-13 Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds is going to be an executive producer. And I think the way they're going to deal with the X-Men, man because they have a great cast, but they can't keep going with it, is to focus on what's been financially successful, critically successful, and they've set up the entire House of M scenario, which Scarlet Witch is the connection. So, guys, if you want to know the future of the X-Men, other than following Wanda, um, Wanda's journey, watch especially Deadpool 2, and you will get tons of, of, of hints and more uh, from that. Sorry. I, X-Men triggers me. I'm, I didn't mean to go on that long. Keep going. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, um, I'm I'm excited for the Wonder Woman sequel because. Wait, wait, hold on. Back up, back, back up. Aquaman. Oh, Aquaman. That's right. Give her, uh, give a, give a rating and a couple sentences about Aquaman, and then the same for Shazam, if you don't mind. I I would give it a uh, I give it 
I would give it a B. It's it's the tone's a little yeah, it's it goes very serious and very goofy. I I just mm. sometimes it's hard to tell like uh what movie they're having, but it's a blast to watch. It is a real fun movie to watch. Uh, you know, and oh, yeah, no good. You know, and the stuff they have there because they have the uh, what's the name? The guy from One Division is like they're setting him up as the as like one of the uh, guys who don't doesn't like Aquaman in the movies. So it's, Bethany? What? No, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, the guy from the guy who played the FBI agent. In, Ant-Man the Wasp. Oh, 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 I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's in the movie. He's like this, this guy from the comics who is, is always like on the hunt for like Aquaman and stuff mm-hmm. and wants to find out about him and stuff. So was, were the special effects, uh, I'm not going to say good because we're at the point now where people know when special effects and when it's not, and that affects people's viewing of it. So let me ask you this. Were the special effects appealing and did they fit with what was going on on screen to enhance the experience or was it distracting? Well, the Atlantis part was really cool because it felt like a underwater Wakanda. So that's what I felt about Atlantis. The Atlantis part was really awesome. You know, because, you know... I was worried about because you know how are we going to get a you know a kingdom underwater in the movie because I didn't know how that was going to be done, especially after Justice League and how they did with the uh, the air bubbles. I was worried that yeah, I, I I thought that was one thing. Even though I didn't see it, I know James Wan. I thought they would nail that part. Yeah, that part was amazing. Every and they had like a there's a part in the movie where they had like a Wakanda type battle because it was Arthur versus his brother in like a combat area, which was yeah really awesome. and Themyscira is related as well. I mean, both Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman does the X, Black Panther does the X. I mean, y- you know, m- my big thing about Aquaman was I never knew whether I was going to see it because I didn't love the cast or the concept, but because he's mythological and from Earth, but super-powered, and because Wonder Woman's mythological from Earth, even though he was a total asshole to her in Justice League, and she should have fucking kicked his ass all over the place. She kind of does with the, with the lasso, but still. Um, I was hoping that they would actually be the sort of co-people um, uh, going forward uh, sort of like Cap and Winter, uh, Cap and, and uh, Black Widow, but in a you know mythological way, as sort of the heart of everything because they're mythological and it kind of works in the same universe. Um, and uh, and maybe that will still do it. So can I ask you a few specifics? We'll move to Shazam and then we'll move to television. So when you say sure. B, you're giving Aquaman a B as a movie or B as a DC and or comic book movie. As as a as a mo- as a comic book movie, it, okay. it's uh, it. So it's lower my, as a regular movie. Yeah, it's, it, the problem is the tone. The tone's a little, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, the tone's like I don't think they understand. I, I think maybe they'll get better, be better with the sequel after they do the uh, his horror trench movie he wants to do next, which he's trying to do like. Uh, like his own Aquaman universe now with the Trents and then Aquaman too. So it's, but so you know, the it, tone, can I follow up on that? Cause this sure. is where I was going with the question, which is 
you have James Wan who directed it. Um, you have a couple dudes who wrote it who I don't know. Obviously, Jeff John's involved in the story. He's involved in everything now. Well, he's he he. Uh, it's based off his run of Aquaman. Right. So between the director, whether you know them or not, but you know when it's direction, when it's writing. And let's be honest, while people love season one of Game of Thrones, and I've always said season one of Game of Thrones is the best for a million reasons, and Jason Momoa was memorable, other than one season of Game of Thrones in which Amelia Clark did most of the heavy lifting, in my opinion, um, I always liked him, uh, even though he's a little bit of a barbarian uh, and unchained, which is fine with me. Um, but neither him nor Amber Heard... Not only are they not A-plus actors like Scarlett, Natalie, or Jennifer Lawrence, they're not even like B-plus actors in terms of establishment and fame. So how did Jason Momoa and or Amber Heard do in the film? And by that, I mean, you know, you say it's a B-comic book movie. Did they pick it up? Did they drag it down? Did they just kind of float along with the materials? Those are the two I'm particularly interested in. Um, and then we'll move on to Shazam. Tell me a little bit about uh, Jason Momoa and Amber Heard. I, I thought they did pretty well. My, they have good chemistry. Physical. Yeah. It, yeah, okay. Yeah. My problem with the movie was basically like, we would get this serious movie, this moment, and then and then all of a sudden we're going to play um, here in Africa for, some, for no reason. So it's just like a directorial tone. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it gets like real serious. And then mm-hmm. right after the serious part like right as we're doing the serious scene we get we do like one goofy thing and it take takes the seriousness out of that scene which mm-hmm. be feeling so, so but do you know who ha- has mastered the uh quick quick switch between humor and drama joss whedon james gunn when he's at his best the russo certainly although they they followed whedon's lead but winter soldier civil war and the avengers the russos know how to do it james gunn mostly knows how to do it take away tt when he's at his best knows how to do it and this is the biggest problem is patty jenkins knows how to do it too man the humor in wonder woman especially early on was great between her and chris pine and totally fit with the characters in the story. I think it's, I think with, they cast Kristen Wiig, they cast a comedian, but who's weird and can act with Kristen Wiig to be the cheetah very specifically so that her and Gal can play off of each other. And there's some humor because Wonder Woman, you got to have some humor. It's a little campy. Um, and, 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 and you can't completely get away from that. But um, James Wan is a very just respected director who's done some great stuff. But that just reminded me, there, there is a gap at the moment between great directors who have proven themselves in Marvel and great directors who have proven themselves in DC. Let's be honest, especially with Whedon and Snyder out of the picture. Yeah. So um, I'm ready to move on then if you are. Shazam. Rating? Uh, couple sentences. Tell me about it. Well, Shazam, the first superhero mo- Christmas superhero movie since Batman Returns. Also, our introduction to our first mainstream Philadelphia superhero. So, I mean, I consider Creed and su- Rocky superheroes, but I understand what you're saying. Comic book superhero. Yeah, comic book superhero. So, did it capture yeah. Philly even close to Creed or Rocky movies? Yes. Awesome. There's there's one great scene I really love in the movie where he they have Shazam Zachary Vi on the on the rocky steps and he's like 
doing all these tricks and trying to get paid for it. So it, it is hmm. really. So but, it was sort of marketed as like a family DC Deadpool, essentially. Um, was it as funny as you were expecting and or hoped? And, and were there other redeeming qualities to it? Yes, the, it was really funny. It is like it is one of the, it is one of my one of my favorite DC movies of the year, which isn't saying much, but you know it is really good. I mean, Zach Levi crushes it as Suzanne, and uh, I forget the kid's name, but the kid from it who plays uh, Billy's friend, he does a really good job too as the like. The kid who knows everything about the all the DC superheroes. Mm. So hmm. it's like it's kind it's like uh, it's a su- it's a superhero movie meets big, which <clears throat> is really good. So I mean, there's like a there's even a part in the movie where they they have him they have Shazam and uh, Mark Strong fighting on a p- piano. So. Mm-hmm. So this movie was a big success for a lot of reasons. One, Zachary Levi's been in things, but he's definitely a nerd star and not a general superstar. People recognize his face, and he was very funny in the ads and trailers. But, you know, even though he's way more appealing to me than someone like Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa has the exposure of being at least briefly in Game of Thrones, I suppose. Zachary Levi was in a pretty famous show 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, Chuck. Um, but, you know, he's at Comic-Con every year. He does his own panels and stuff uh, where he gets fan favorites like Felicia Day and Nathan Fillion to come hang out and talk with people. Uh, and he raise, all raises money for charity. He's like your, you know, like Felicia Day, Will Wheaton. He's he's like a hardcore deep dive nerd the way Ryan Reynolds is. You know, people think, you know, Ryan Reynolds superstar. What used to be married to Scarlett Johansson. He's gorgeous, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Ryan Reynolds is a ginormous nerd who steeped in comics which is why he stuck with the deadpool project for so long um i'm not saying zachary levi was a shazam fan but he's definitely steeped in nerd lore and to see a nerd who is very good looking and charismatic succeed the way he did was great it also made uh almost 370 million dollars on less than 100 which is fantastic especially because i'm sure you heard leading up to the movie before people got excited people were waiting for the sequel with the rock um, as the villain, and like that was the big thing. So the fact that people liked this movie, it's even going to drive even more interest uh, with with The Rock, right, as Black Adam. Yeah. Well, he's supposed to be doing. Well, the thing is, The Rock's going to be doing his soul movie, which they said is going to be with him fighting the uh, Hawkman, and then they're going to do Shazam too. Which hmm. spoilers for Shazam. Um, the end credits is. Savannah, he's in jail and he's talking to this uh this like in this animatronic like caterpillar called Mr. Mind who's like a I guess he's kind of like I guess it's kind of like a like a caterpillar version of Lex Luthor where he's like I guess there's like more magical realms than and they're gonna explore that in the sequel. So then after that they're gonna do a Third movie, which is going to have, which is going to be the big lead up with sure. Shazam fighting Black Adam. That's their plans that they announced. So which again, a trilogy that people were excited about was around Shazam, who almost no one had heard of, is a 
in its own a, a ginormous accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 no, go ahead. And also, the thing about this movie is, unlike Aquaman, they have they actually have a good tone, and the tone, like it is really funny when it needs to be, and it's serious when it really needs to be, and the, mm-hmm. and they actually balance it pretty well. So, so the obvious comparison is Deadpool in the sense of showing that you could do something very irreverent and very different. And that in some ways that actually attracts people who wouldn't normally be into the normal, you know, dark DC or popcorny Marvel movie, right? Even if those stereotypes are unfair, it's important to keep expanding it. Logan did it in its own way. Deadpool definitely did it. Um, and, I, you know, I, I always bring up Rogue One, uh, but I do want to bring up Rogue One here as a comparison only in the sense of after The Force Awakens did so well, but it was such a traditional Star Wars movie, obviously the big complaint is it was too much like the originals. I personally love Force Awakens and love it for that. They had to do it. It's high, still highest grossing domestic movie ever. Yes, people, more than uh, Endgame, uh, Force Awakens by quite a bit is the highest grossing domestic movie in the United States. Uh, but dude, when they did Rogue One, people were like, the average American viewer was like, is this related to the original trilogy? Is this related to the prequels? Is this related to the new movies? No one was really sure. The fact that they made a billion dollars, got pretty good reviews, an amazing fan reception, and while I gave it an A-plus immediately, now everyone's in the Star Wars community is on the bandwagon that admits that it's the best, or at least the most flawless and best acted of the new movies. <clears throat> but the connection here is Kathleen Kennedy, during The Last Jedi press, the year after Rogue One, man, uh, said, and Jeff John has said this too, um, I believe, in his own way. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, said, Rogue One, we're so thrilled with successful and we're so happy with it, but the biggest thing is that it proves that we can go in different directions that's not just lightsabers and skywalkers um, over and over again in Star Wars, and we wouldn't be getting the Clone Wars coming back. We certainly wouldn't be getting Cassian in K2. We probably wouldn't even be getting The Mandalorian. Uh, did you see The Mandalorian trailer? Because my first thought yeah. was, this looks like the war scenes in Rogue One, and when I watch people's reactions, like half the people commented, it looked like Rogue One at certain points, which is a high compliment for me. <clears throat> yes, I, I saw the trailer. It was pretty good. And I think that week, I think I showed it to, I was with my dad Saturday and he's like a, he's like a, you know, you know, like your normal star, like a normal Star Wars. He's not really deep into it. So I showed it, it and he's like, when can we see this? And that was his reaction after, after I showed him the trailer. So he, he was totally pumped. I mean, The Mandalorian, you get Jon Favreau, who's an old school guy in terms of Star Wars, to bring back the older crowd with the, you know, the Boba Fett imagery. We saw Carbonite, but we saw Death Troopers, too. So that's, you know, referring to Rogue One. And we saw a lot of Rogue One type battles. Um, It was because Rogue One did. I mean, look, Force Awakens made two billion. Rogue One made one. The different, but Rogue One, not related to the Skywalkers, almost no Jedi stuff, all new characters, very violent, very dark. You can't take your super young kids to it. It's not a normal family movie. Like then, made over a billion it is extremely impressive. 
Um, and the Mandalorian is going to be just as dark, but because Disney plus is going to have a very advanced filtering system, uh, where parents can, you know, set very strict guidelines about what their kids can and can't watch on the streaming service. It's not going to be a problem. But as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, man, it is not a coincidence that they saved the star Wars stuff and especially the Mandalorian for last, because that after all the cheesy, I love the cheesy Disney stuff. It's great. But after all that stuff, D 23, to get something like the Mandalorian with the music and the imagery. It's like an old Western. It got a little Game of Thrones vibe to it. Um, a little Kurosawa vibe. That's all a tribute to Lucas. But John Favreau, co- as you know, um, the, the, was a co-director and co-producer 50-50 at least all the way with Dave Filoni, who's the brilliant mind behind Clone Wars, Rebels, all the animated division in Star Wars. He's the head of the story group. He's probably second to Kathleen Kennedy. Might be first in terms of creative decisions. I think she's just given it over to him at this point. And so he's going to bring in the prequel stuff and everything else that the sort of newer school fans from your generation like um, and so I, I think it's very smart to lead with that and Marvel didn't need to lead on day one right because Marvel's Marvel and they're rolling in, in dough and acclaim and success yeah yeah, and and I think I think they both I think Loni and Favreau both co-directed the pilot together so that should be very interesting to see Filoni directed two episodes on his own. I know that. I don't know. I know Taika directed at least one. Bryce, uh, Ron Howard's daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, who's also an actress, obviously, directed one. Um, uh, one of the a young uh, Asian woman who's directed Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Defenders, directed at least one. So it's a very cool group of directors. Um, and we've got Gus from Breaking Bad, who's awesome. We got Apollo Creed, speaking of Philadelphia, we got Apollo Creed in it. But I'm most excited that they announced that Ming Na is going to be in it. Cause she, well, Agents of Shield was very up and down. Ming Na is such a great actress, and she's such a fiery personality in real, in real life. She's, she's a badass on the show. Oh, total bad. Yeah, I mean, she tr- tried to teach Sky to fight, but <laughs> Sky could never fight, or Daisy could never fight as good as her. Um, her and Coulson were great together. So, um, I-, I was waiting for news because, especially because in Clone Wars. You have actresses like Katie Sackhoff and Tia Sarkar who are legit, young, brilliant, talented, acclaimed, and attractive, charismatic actresses who voiced characters who would very much who are who are Mandos and Katie Sackhoff and Tia Sarkar. It makes no sense that, especially Katie Sackhoff, who should be the queen of Mandalore as Bo-Katan, I have to think they're saving her. Um, it would be unless she died during the, the the rebellion. I suppose she should still be in the picture. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's nice to see them start to add sort of more more familiar characters. But anyways, we're getting off, dude. But the connection to Jeff Johns and this will lead into the show was that after Batman. Let's be honest. I, I mean, this is just my my reading and my opinion. This isn't just to you. This is to the audience, which is. People say at $850 million, how can you say Batman v Superman was a failure? Well, the reason I can say Batman v Superman was a failure, other than it was trashed by the media, but more so, it was very, very mixed at best among fans. I mean, non-DC fans, people who weren't invested in DC, mostly really didn't like it. More people, I think, like Suicide Squad than Batman v Superman, because at least it was weird and dark and different. Batman v Superman was just very long and boring, in my opinion. 
Um, and Ben Affleck never seemed fully invested in the role. Henry Cavill's poorly written for. Gal Gadot was the most memorable part of the movie for me, even though she was in it 20 minutes. Um, and uh, it set up Wonder Woman was sort of the big thing there. But the reason $850 million was was a problem was because not only did both Avengers movies, but bef- in the couple years before it, make a billion and a half, which is what it should have made, because Jason, it hit Batman and Superman. And Wonder Woman, who happened to be the three best-selling and longest-running superheroes ever, even more than Spider-Man and anyone you can think of from Marvel. Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman have always had at least one, usually multiple comic books of them going for the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And you have Ben Affleck and an amazing performance by Gal Gadot out of nowhere. And Henry Cavill, who when you write for, but still, it's Superman- and somehow it made half the Avengers and they almost lost money because of how much they had to do reshoots and then pay for marketing to try to get people to go. Well, you know, you have a problem when they have the uh, flash scene and the hardcore DC fans like myself are like, uh, what was that about? And people are, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it, there was like, it felt like you're jumping too far into the Avengers without doing solo films, which apparently the visual plan was to do the solo films and then do uh, a Justice League. But DC, our Wonder Brothers, told him, just do a Batman and Superman film and then do Justice League. And they told Snyder just to do that, and that was it, so. That's why we got, what well, we, got. <laughs> we know now that Snyder's severe family problems, to say the least, happened much earlier and were kept under wraps for a very long time than, than we thought. Um, it was very sad. I feel bad for him. Again, we super respect him. Don't really like any Zack Snyder movies. Um, it's just a personal taste thing. But the fact that Joss and him are buddies from back in the day, uh, and just because he makes very professional movies, I got to respect him. And his actors love him. And dude, I have to say, I was prepared to really dislike Ezra Miller and Justice League, and I found him incredibly endearing. And even though uh, uh, Grant Gustin d- does the best he can with his... <laughs> increasingly weak material as far as i can tell on the flash and he's constantly as maddie g says looks like he's about to cry all the time um and it's this very bizarre relationship with a woman who does really nothing um uh, in terms of the writing even though i think candace Patton is a really solid and, and interesting and talented actress I was immediately more interested in, in the snarky, uh, weird, dorky, almost Spider-Man-esque uh, version of The Flash in Ezra Miller. I don't know if other people liked him. I don't know if it's at all related to or mirrors the comics, but I thought him and Cyborg in particular, and of course his interactions with Batman, were awesome. And that movie, without some humor from Wonder Woman, but especially Flash, would not have worked at all because Ben Affleck is like sleeping through these movies, even though, you know, if he just invested himself, it would be great. We have to talk about this, man, because you're a Batman guy. 
But Ben Affleck, after a horrible Daredevil movie, was given the best and most popular superhero of all time that everyone wanted to see, and everyone was ready to give Ben Affleck a, a, more than a chance and give him the throne. And all he had to do was like 80 to 90% performance, but because of his screwed up life and personality, he couldn't even do that. And now they're having to recast it, which we're going to get to in a second. What do you make of that whole Ben Affleck situation? Well, um, as, as a Batman fan, yeah. Well, I I thought I really liked his performance in BBS because I it was it was different. It was definitely the the Dark Knight Returns Batman, which I got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of that Batman because he thinks he needs to he thinks he needs to stop Superman, which I'm like, he really shouldn't need to stop Superman. Maybe like maybe like maybe wear him down maybe but like and and it felt too much like dark like returns where or as batman as people like to call him on the internet crazy steve so yeah it's it's not my uh it's not my favorite but Mm -hmm. he did the best what he did with that version of batman and like i said earlier you know everyone has a favorite version of batman maybe years down this might be someone's favorite version of batman you know it might be we might get into a Star Wars prequel situation where people will love this Batman. You never know. So, yeah. but I'm the other, the problem Justice League was, you know, they reshot like 80 or 90% of that movie. So it was a Frankenstein of a film, you know, certain scenes didn't match up. Performances were a little out of whack, but I also I thought everyone that- was endearing. I thought they had good chemistry. I thought somehow uh, Snyder starting it and Whedon finishing it, even though, yes, it was a little choppy, they made up for it with just fun. I mean, that's the thing. You could make these movies as dark as you want, but with superhero movies in particular, it's not Star Wars, superhero movies in particular, you need to have these superheroes having fun being superheroes, even while they're kicking all the bad guys' asses, so that we have fun. And I didn't feel like we saw that until uh, until Justice League. And so I was... Uh, look, as a Joss Whedon fanboy, he's my favorite director, he can be uneven at times, but I prefer sloppiness. Like That's why I love Ultron so much, because even though 10% of Ultron uh, is a little herky-jerky and, and doesn't always hit with every joke, the other 90% is so splendid and glorious for me. I'd rather have messiness. J.J. Abrams tends to have a little messiness in his films. I'm fine with that. Um, and so I was glad that it, it, whether it was intentional or not, that because of the situation with two directors and the reshoots that they had to throw shit at the wall and they just let it almost freed the actors to be, uh, you know, more loose. And I think, I honestly think Ezra Miller, what, um, along with Gal Gadot were the two reasons why people were so loose in that movie, because Ezra Miller is just clearly a comfortable young man. And I don't understand why he doesn't have a movie, but more so Gal Gadot is like one of the most confident, but loving and, and generous people on the planet who everyone loves and everyone loves working with. And whenever she was, I will give you this about BVS, man. They did the right thing in making it more about Batman than Superman. And they did the right thing in having the exchanges between Wonder Woman and, uh, and Batman and so forth. And I, I agree. I think Affleck did, did fine in BVS. The problems with BVS were not his and that just made the ultimate lack of commitment and then leaving even worse. Yeah. And so. 
Do we want to? We want. Well, okay, so I, I've been thinking up to the long yeah. way around. So Jeff Johns, after all of this up and down, up and down, up and down, now maybe they're reconsidering. But you know, Shazam is sort of like starting a Shazam verse, and we've got the Wonder Woman verse, the Aquaman verse. Jeff Johns was very open in the last year to year and a half that they they realized they shouldn't have tried to copy the Marvel formula, and they're going to just start telling stories about their characters, and some of them will connect more than others. But dude, I've always said the difference between DC and Marvel, one's not better than the other, is DC characters, and this is why they have the top three, are mostly defined through their individual comic books. Yes, they've got sidekicks, and they have the Justice League team-ups, but Batman is normally just Batman, Superman's normally just Superman, and Wonder Woman's normally just Wonder Woman with their little teams, whereas the Avengers and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, the three biggest, most famous groups by far in Marvel are defined specifically through relation to one another, especially the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. I mean, I read Iron Man growing up, but I always love the Avengers crossovers with the X-Men. And so I think the, the people's preferences, other than characters, just in general for DC versus Marvel, is do you really like the team-up stuff mostly with some individual stuff, or do you prefer the sort of individual character study that we get more so in DC with occasional team-ups? I love both of it, but spoiler alert, my top seven Marvel movies are the four Avengers movies and the three Captain America movies, two of which were basically Avengers movies in the guise of Captain America movies. And I really like Justice League a lot um, because of uh, aforementioned reasons. So my point being in this whole TV, man, is... You've got Gotham, which is going one way. You've got the DC Universe shows like Titans, which you have to explain to me because I still don't understand what it is, going another way. You've got the Pennyworth show about young Alfred, which my dad's watching, which normally he'd never watch, going a different way. You've got the movies maybe even going a different way. Like, who knows if Shazam's going to like really cross over with the quote-unquote Justice League team or, or whatever it's going to look like. Flash seemed like a, a no-brainer, and now we, we don't know. Um, but Jeff Johns, to his credit, has been very open that they're going to try and do their own thing. And that's why they're calling it Worlds of DC, I believe, instead of the DCEU. Uh, no, it's not Worlds of DC. It's I think it's still the... They didn't say it's called DCEU either. I think it's, they're just calling it the DC Films, so... Okay, well, I'll, I'll look up the specifics, but, but you know what I'm saying. And what do you think about that sort of... A sort of very open and very conscious approach to say we're not Marvel. We have these spectacular, spectacular uh, individual characters. Just look at the Dark Knight movies, how successful they were. You know, Superman back in the day when he was acting like Superman, the success, the success of Wonder Woman, which by the way, dude, even though Aquaman made a billion worldwide, Wonder Woman still made way more in the United States than Aquaman did. And is the highest grossing American DC movie since the Dark Knight over 10 years ago is Wonder Woman. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, so how do you feel both about the sort of the admission of that by Johns and other people at the top and they're firing a lot of people again and replacing them? Um, and do you agree with that, that direction? Well, you know, sometimes, well, they, 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 they did a risk, you know, it was a, maybe a bad risk or a good risk, but they tried to do something different and it ended up not working out. So they're, they're going to with what they what they need to do and and that should be it and but you know but we do have all these verses now we have after justice league now we have the we have the aquaman verse which has like 
they already have two movies in that universe. Now we got the three or more movies in the Shazam verse. We may end up getting a Batman verse. Who knows? That's what Super- I want. That's what I want because I want Batgirl and I want Good Birds of Prey. Batwing. I, I, that's the thing. Even though I love Batman, I love all the people around Batman too, especially Babs. I would love to see that ground level, darker PG thirteen Batman, but with that great sense of humor that, like you know, that like Bat- Batwing and and um and, and Babs have, for example. Yeah, and of course we, you know, we have all these universes now. So that that that's pretty. I think that's pretty neat. You know. Although I, I still would like to know eventually what what the plan is for the for Deathstroke with Joe Manganiello if we're making a movie now or, or if we're not, but you know, well, one day we'll probably figure it by now. But you know, it, it's just it's interesting to see all these universes being set up now from Justice League into the old their own separate universes. I think that's pretty neat. So yeah. Hmm. So I'm reading that the Flash they're saying is going to be released in two years. So the 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 rumor that came out, re- well, not a rumor, it's confirmed, is that the director of the It movies, the movies that I am too afraid to see, Me too. is is making the Flash movie now because the guys who wrote Spider-Man: Homecoming jump ship into another. I think it was like uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Now I think they went to. So it, but Ezra Miller is still attached to play the Flash. So we sh- we oh shall see if th- if this is going to happen because. Mm-hmm. So know. this is something really sad. So the writer of Bumblebee, which I thought was very entertaining, um, was Christina Hodson. She was attached to Birds of Prey and Batgirl years ago. And so, you know, one of my Elizabeth Olsen prediction has turned out to be spectacularly even more right than I thought. But I thought for sure Haley Steinfeld was a front runner for, for Batgirl. But when Joss Whedon left and they shook everything up, um, now I'm not so sure. Uh, now she's still attached to Birds of Prey and she's attached to The Flash. This is so sad, dude. On Christina Hodson's own Wikipedia page. It says year 2022 Batgirl director. It literally says some token. <laughs> yeah. Well, How does um, that get by people. That's so pathetic and know. offensive. Well, I, I did. I know for a while people kept rumoring that Daisy, that, that Daisy Ridley Ray herself might be playing Batgirl, but we'll see if that actually happens. I want to think that Daisy Ridley has the comedic chops and the fast talkingness to play Babs. Now it might not be Babs, but if if it's Babs, to me you need like like one of the Pitch Perfect girls, like Anna Kendrick or um, Haley Steinfeld, um, someone sl- a little bit more fast talking and neurotic because that's what makes Babs so special is that like she's beating dudes up but she's also thinking about like her homework and her laundry like while she's doing it and stuff you know what I mean like that that 
you know, that takes a special kind of humor. That was my main prediction about um, Haley Steinfeld was just personality wise. It works so great with her sense of humor. Um, I would be fine with, with Daisy doing it, but the number of movies I've seen Daisy in outside of Star Wars is exactly zero. So I just don't know uh, what to compare it to. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I didn't even get to see the uh, the one that she did with uh, Kenneth Branagh, the Murder on the Orient Express, which is like one of the other big ones she did outside of Star Wars. So. Mm-hmm. He also directed that. Thor One, which is in my not anybody's, but it is in my top ten Marvel movies. I love Thor One, and Kenneth Branagh did that as well. Um. um so, okay, let's bridge to television. So let me, do you mind if I just stay on back for a quick sec, which is... Sure. I really like Ruby Rose's talent. I haven't felt... The problem is, by the time Batwoman was introduced, and I actually like the Batwoman comics, they're darker. I, I A, had already lost interest in the whole CW vibe, because they film literally every show has the same music and the same camera angles over and over and over again. But B, um, Batwoman is very bloody and dark, at least in the New 52. Um, and I didn't know if they would be able to fit that. I mean, Arrow Season 1 is brutal. And then they decided that Flash uh, uh, family vibe was what they wanted to do, even with Arrow, as the years went along. I love the first three seasons of Arrow. After that, it got really painful. I watched one season of Flash. I love Melissa Benoist and really the whole crew of Supergirl. But again, so cheesy. Not the special effects. I like that that that, that campaign, the intentional campiness, but just the spinning camera and the overly you know saturated uh, look of it and so forth and blah 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 blah. I always wanted with this new DC Universes thing. I thought actually Batgirl would do better on television as a sort of Batgirl version of Detective Comics. You, she's like Jessica Jones. She's so complicated, especially if it's post-killing joke. She went through a trauma in its own way, as as horrible as Jessica Jones. Um, and uh, she's dealing with that trauma in the new 52, and now she's just like super colorful Babs in Rebirth or whatever is going on now. Um, I'd like some sort of, I like year one Batgirl. I don't know if you've ever read the nine issues year one Batgirl. Um, it's my personal favorite. I have it. I just got to get timely because I have that. It's coupled with that and the Robin year one. So I have both books together. So I have to read those sometimes, but. I mean, yeah, she's, the, she's small and 18 in it, um, it, it you know, but it, it's also a perfect blend of of, 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 of humor, action, and, and drama. But that being said, I really like the first few volumes of uh, New 52 Batgirl. Even though it's a little close to Batwoman, the dealing with a post-killing joke, that's what I would do in the movies. But if Marvel and Star Wars are doing these very dark shows for adults on the streaming service, I don't know why DC can't do a dark, like a Batgirl post-Joker thing, maybe with the Joker. Um, it'll be interesting to see if DC starts doing what Marvel's already committed to doing, like with Wanda, for instance, and moving between actors, you know, like could we see Joaquin Phoenix on TV or, or introduce a character on TV and bring him into the movies, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm on board with the Batverse, but I want to see Babs, but I would be fine if it's on television. I just want it to be, um, you know, like family, like Star Wars family, like kind of dark. Um, what, what do you see in the future of Batgirl, if anything? Because Babs, other than Wonder Woman, ha- has become my favorite DC character. Well, 
I think they're going to probably do after Batman because first they got to set up the new, the new status quo of Batman. You know, we have the old status quo, which is that that Batman's gone. So we have now, you know, Robin Pattinson now Batman. Okay, and we got Robert Pattinson. Grade it. Yep. How do you grade then, it? how do you grade it? The casting. I think it's good casting. Cause, I do too. You know, I give it an A minus to an A for Connor sure. Was the, he kind of was the Batman wife. You know, he was he was in the uh, spotlight. He went away for a few years, you know, from the spotlight to work on his acting. And now he's back in the spotlight again with Batman and with the new Christopher Nolan spy movie that I'm real excited for. So, so as you know, I'm an actor-centric guy, right? Um, yep. And because I'm an actor-centric guy, I had to see like a couple of the Hunger Games movies. Um, and I had to see the first Twilight because it was such a sensation. I could so easily tell that the fault of that movie and even the franchise without seeing the rest had nothing to do with the actors. And if you see both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson in independent films where they can really strut, they are very, very good. And so people who don't like this casting because of Twilight, I urge you to watch at least one or two indie Pattinson movies because he is excellent and can be very charismatic when, when given the material, in my opinion. And also, we got to remember the old catchphrase, you know, us Bat- the Batman fans back in the day used to say, in no one trust. Well, no one casted him in this new movie, so maybe we should trust that he's going to give us a really awesome Batman. Hmm. So, yeah. Jason, can we talk about the DC Universe streaming service? Sure. So it was announced April 2017, formally announced May 2018, and launched officially last September, about a year ago. And I gave a credit, even though I know almost nothing about the shows, other than what I hear from Alistair, Britt, Matt, and you, uh, which is great. Um, but I gave them tons of props for beating Marvel and even Star Wars to the punch. Now they've got a problem um, because Marvel is bringing in giant movie stars into the TV properties and moving them between movies and, and, t- and TV. So you almost can't tell the difference. You can tell from the budget of the Mandalorian, their budget, Game of Thrones money. We know they're spending at least 10 to 12 million an episode, which if you add it up is basically the budget of a medium to large scale Star Wars movie. So it's going to look like the movies. Um, you know, the Mandalorian in particular doesn't have a ton of huge stars, but you know, Pedro Pascal's really like from game of Thrones. Um, obviously some of the side characters they keep introducing, um, uh, you know, people are uh, like Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Gus on Breaking Bad, and we just heard uh, Ming-Na, yes, um, and, and so forth. We're getting some great uh, veterans and side characters. But Mandalorian's going to feel like a 12-episode Star Wars movie. And so while I give DC tons of credit for beating Marvel to the punch, and I think they're taking their time um, on purpose, um, but, you know, uh, Doom Patrol... Uh, is the one I've heard from most people. Let me put it this way. Doom Patrol is the one I've heard from people who are not giant DC fans 
who have been watching it and mostly really liked it. I don't know about Titans, even though Brit and Alistair talk about it all the time. I don't understand what Titans is. Swamp Thing. You know, I remember Swamp Thing from youth. I'm cool with that. Harley Quinn show should be great. Um, as long as they don't over-sexualize her. Um, what do you think? Well, first of all, can you just talk a little bit about the vibe of the DC Universe um, uh, on-demand streaming service and what, what's worked and what hasn't so far? And then we'll lead from there into, um, in the final section to some of the other DC properties on TV. Well, I, I w- I'm going to break it down a little bit. So. Break it down. Break it. All right. So I started... So Titans. Titans is basically revolves around an older Dick Grayson Robin who moves to Chicago as a police officer because he doesn't want to stay in Batman's shadow because he's afraid he's coming he's becoming too much like Batman. And so he has to so and then you find out he has he's a he He's um, solving the case of uh, of the girl Raven, whose mother gets killed, and mm. is part of a deep, a really deep conspiracy. And then you also have um, Starfire, who is trying to figure out what her connection is to Raven, and Beast Boy's in there. And then you have uh, the characters Hawk and Dove. So. I, I've seen a few episodes of Titans. Um, it's can I, can I can I just can I just dig a little there? Sure. So say you're me. You know all the major Justice League characters. You know from Super. You know I you know Supergirl. We know Arrow. You know Supergirl is a Superman. Arrow is like Batman. But they got their own thing going. You know I love the Arrow. I've read the, some of the Green Arrow comics. I'm a big fan. I've read some of the Supergirl comics. I like them. Obviously, I love Babs. Um, you know, the Batman characters are well-known. Robin, Batwing, Batgirl, now Batwoman, so forth, blah, 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 blah. Um, is, uh, is Titans a property that, like, the strong DC fans knew about? It, was that, like, a smart way for them to, to start with, like, a, a sort of a, a property that would appeal to sort of the core, like, the base? Well, the, t- well, the Titans... They call it Titans, but it's actually based on the Teen Titans property. Right. But they changed it to Titans because the character there aren't a lot of teens in the show, so mm-hmm. it is Titans. And I've seen the first three episodes. Um, the first episode is a little it it it, it, it it's trying to set the tone, but it's a little confusing at times because there's there's a lot of mystery in there, but. The second episode helps really, really sets the tone in. You're off and running with the show, so it's it's going pretty good. So, what could you compare it to, comic book or otherwise, for dummies like me who have no context here? I would compare it to uh, the Netflix show Daredevil for like the darkness and stuff in it. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because there is a. There's a brutal scene in the first episode where Robin takes on a bunch of uh, criminals, and it is like dark. And he ha- he has these R's he throws from his chest. And the interesting thing in the show, they show it comes from his logo. So he takes the R's and cleans them and puts them right in his 
in his uh, the art in, in the chest of his uniform. So that's hmm. I think it's pretty interesting. So we've got um, Titans. Yep. So, Which um, this yeah. season yeah, they did the new season should come out I guess next month, which is going to have a uh, Deathstroke. So that's so be Titans renewed, Young Justice. Yeah. Is, uh, that, is that a cartoon? Yes. Now that originally was on Nickel was on Cartoon Network the first two seasons. I didn't get to watch the the third season yet. Because mm-hmm. I'm still trying to watch catch up on the first season of Titans mm-hmm. for the second season, but um, for the record, so, Young Justice voice stars include Troy Baker, who is an A plus video game voice, mostly known for The Last of Us and Last of Us Part Two, which is coming out. But is done also, also Uncharted, and Bat- he also voices Batman in Telltale Games. Yeah, he's he's like um, Matt Mercer and Lara Bailey. He's everything. And Tara Strong, who's a middle-aged woman, who, if you look her up on IMDb, has like 700 credits. She does all the anime voices and cartoons and stuff going back to like the 80s and 90s. So those are two huge voice actors involved in that project. All right. If you want me to break down the voice actors, I can. So Jesse McCarthy, the singer, voices Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Nightwing. So that's... One of the ones who voiced him in Young Justice. Um, they also cool. a lot of musicians transition great into acting. Yeah, and they have uh, what's his name? I forget. It's the guy with the long hair from Breaking from uh, The Walking Dead. He voices uh, Aquaman. Oh, uh, uh, Kari Payton. Yep. Yeah, who yeah, has been on semi regularly Critical Role, the RPG sensation on Twitch. Uh, now Dungeons and Dragons is cool. Kari Payton is, was one of their earliest guests and has been on a number of times. Critical Role is absolutely hilarious, super smart, very creative. I don't know how he is as a voice actor. He's spectacular as a Dungeons and Dragons player. He he, he really does a good job. Brings a lot of like uh, pathos and like feeling to Aquaman, Aqualad. And then they uh, we also have another. Troy Baker of acting, Nolan North, he voices Superman and Superboy in the show. So. Nolan North, who also is Nathan Drake uh, in the Uncharted, which is amazing because Nathan Drake, first of all, sounds nothing like Nolan North's normal voice, uh, but second of all, is based so obviously on Nathan Fillion uh, from Firefly and Elsewhere. Um, and uh, it's pretty hilarious because they're both in the game Destiny, which I am a big player of. Nolan North plays your little AI bot that comes everywhere with you, has the most speaking lines by far of anyone in the show. He even has to impersonate, and this is where it gets weird, man. He, Nathan Fillion, because of contract reasons, couldn't come back for like his death episode of Destiny, so they had to have Nolan North do Nathan Fillion's voice after he had already done Nathan Drake, which was based on Nathan Fillion. It's pretty hilarious. Nolan North is a legend. Also, by the way, dude, Andy Serkis rightly gets tons of credits for, for credit for pioneering and maybe starting modern performance capture. But Nolan North has also been doing performance capture for a long time, so he's yeah. he's like like Andy Serkis, good at everything and a legend, and won't be appreciated in his own time. But the nerds appreciate him. Yep, and also and we also have another uh, Captain Pike from uh, the Star Trek himself. Uh, Bruce Greenwood voices Batman in this show. So, so. 
So punch it. Oh God, he's so the biggest. The, okay, so the reason people say Star Trek Into Darkness was bad was because it was a bad ripoff of Khan. But in my opinion, have you seen it? Uh, I've seen Into Darkness. Yes. My reason for Into Darkness being bad is because in the first movie, Christopher Pike from the beginning specifically likes uh, Jim Kirk because he's a rebel and because Starfleet needs to be shaken up. And then all of a sudden, and out of uh, uh, Into Darkness, he turns on Chris Pine and all of a sudden doesn't like Chris Pine's uh, Jim Kirk's character for all the reason he professes to like him and give him authority in the first movie. It made absolutely zero sense. I've speculated in 2013, J.J. Abrams was already distracted by The Force Awakens. Who knows? Uh, it's too bad, that franchise. Again, like the X-Men, spectacular cast with the Star Trek p- people, and who knows about the future, but he is, yeah, Greenwood's a fantastic actor. That, that, that I dare you to do better speech he gives to Kirk after Kirk gets his ass beat in the first reboot is like one of the all-time great speeches yeah and he's also uh he's also a great voice for that i i'll tell you that much because he mm-hmm. he voices him also in some of the animated movies recently also so he does a pretty good job i will say the one thing that keeps like even like later season arrow like season four of arrow for example okay season four of arrow was one of the most disappoint. well let's put it this way I normally don't like shows, even that I love, like Homeland and Vikings, past three seasons. The fourth season, even Battlestar Galactica was hard to get through it, final season. Fourth season for me is when shows start to get old. But Arrow, for me, after the amazing season three with the Al Ghuls and, and, you know, um, and Speedy and everything... Uh, White Canary. It was such a, 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 a letdown and a dropdown of quality with Arrow season four. Um, and but what saved it was the out and out, you know, over the top mustache twirling of Neil McDonough, who is a career character actor like Bruce Greenwood, not as famous, but you know, similar kind of thing. DC's done a good job of of saving. Um, Supergirl's brought in a ton of veteran actors, including Linda Carter. Hello. Um, and, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Who plays the head of the newspaper? Um, uh, Cat, uh, uh, Cat Grant. Right. But who play? what's her real name? I always forget. Yeah. Cat, anyways, but do you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, like DC does a nice job of bringing in veteran character actors who can really give flavor and originality to, you know, again, with CW, which is mostly what I can comment on at best, you know, mixed quality season to season and within seasons. But you get these great veteran actors. I mean, I'm not saying Young Justice. I've heard great things about Young Justice. I- I'm just using the example of Arrow and the veteran actors um, that, they, that they keep bringing in. Yeah, well, Neil McDonald also voiced Arrow, the Green Arrow, in a animated short. I think that's one of the reasons why they also brought him to, hmm. to kind of have the guy who played Green Arrow play the live action so that, that, I thought that was pretty cool but anyways uh, yeah Young Justice that it's a pretty cool show if people want to give them time so that that's all I have to say about it <laughs> so, so tell me about Doom Patrol because any spoofy or wacky show starring Alan Tudyk I'm already 50% there I haven't seen it, but I love Alan Tudyk in literally everything, even if he's in it for five minutes. 
And it's a good cast, man, but it's very diverse. I mean, they have Brendan Fraser, who's barely been in anything for years. Timothy Dalton, who was fucking James Bonds. But they also have young ac- actresses like Diane uh, Guerrero, I believe her name is, who was on Orange and the New Black, and Jane the Virgin, which are like two of the most acclaimed shows of the last 10 years. Um, t- talk to me about Doom Patrol, because it's been well, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol was first introduced in the fourth episode of the season one of Peyton's show. So that's where we got most of the characters introduced because mm-hmm. they they make it as in, in the original comics where um, Beast Boy was a member of the Doom Patrol. So that's how we get a couple of the, a couple of the really quick facts. Sorry, um, it's being shown the second season on HBO Max. So it's so popular they're co-airing it on an HBO channel, which these days any of the HBO channels are basically the same. And the composers of the show are Kevin Kiner, who does Star Wars Rebels. It's amazing Star Wars music and, and all sorts of TV shows. And Clint Manziel, who's arguably the, the greatest modern composer who does all the Aronofsky movies and a lot of the Christopher Nolan movies and like Moon, if you've ever seen Moon with Sam Rockwell, like or Requiem for a Dream, like those really, the fountain, those really creepy soundtracks, Clint Manziel, amazing music. I would not have guessed those two in particular. Um, and so, I, you know, again, I, I'm an actor's guy, but I'm also attracted to, to talent across the board. And just based on what people say and based on the talent, the show and you do you tell me if i'm if i'm wrong here this seems like a show with an upward trajectory yeah they have an all-star cast in that in the, in the doom patrol because it they have uh you know as you said james bond we got brendan frazier the mummy himself we have matthew bomer plays the negative name so and we have alan tudyk as the vi- the main villain of the first season, Mr. Nobody. And he's also the narrator of the show. Mm. So you have Alan Tudyk narrate the show, which is awesome. And he also breaks the fourth wall from time to time. I just want to point out, if you go from Titans premiere, October 2018, to the Harley Quinn premiere, oh no, let's say Stargirl, early 2020... That's five or six shows, right? And Mm -hmm. Marvel's releasing five in almost the exact year and a half time frame. Like the spacing of the shows and the mix between more adult and kids. DC really is pioneering here. Again, the biggest problem is, while we name all these great actors, most of them are not, you know... (laughs) you know, Jeremy Renner and Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. And that, that's a problem for non-hardcore fans. But everything except for Swamp Thing has been renewed. I'd be shocked if Harley Quinn wasn't renewed. I know nothing about Stargirl. It seems like they have a lot of plans for the future. Um, let's, let's wrap on DC Universe and then we'll do a couple quick hits on, on other stuff and I'll, I'll let you go. Um, All right, well, um, well, let's go through the... Uh let me go through the rest of the shows like rapid speed then. Yeah, no, take, do 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 your thing. Yeah. All right. So we have Swamp Thing, which is a horror show created by Aquaman director director himself, James Wan, mm-hmm. and it's about like them trying to investigate uh, disappearances in the Louisiana swamp. So, and it 
and it's it's like a horror horror thriller type of show. Um, the reason they said it was canceled was to a taxing error when they were making the show. So that's the reason they said it was canceled. For the record, the composer of that show is Brian Tyler, who is one of numerous um, disciples of Hans Zimmer, who I consider the greatest or at least most versatile composer ever is Hans Zimmer. But he's trained a number of young men and women. And those men and women have gone on to create the greatest uh, video game soundtracks, in my opinion, from the Assassin's Creed games to the Call of Duty games in particular. They're all Brian Tyler or other disciples of Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer famously agreed to do Modern Warfare 2, which is when Call of Duty reached an entire new level of cinematicness uh, in like 2009. And people couldn't believe Zimmer did it. He loved it. And then he had a bunch of disciples, including a Philly girl, a young Philly Jewish girl, Sarah Schechter, I believe her name is. Um, who I may know through someone uh, who's done Assassin's Creed soundtracks and uh, worked on Modern Warfare Three. Brian Tyler did Modern Warfare Three and did the Assassin. He does the he did the uh, pirate Assassin's Creed one, Black Flag, which is like maybe my favorite uh, 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 video game soundtrack of all time. Again, an amazing, amazing composer. Can't be stressed enough, man. Again, going back to the Batman animated series. I mean, that show was great no matter what, but without that music, that was a huge part of it. Yep. And yep. that's and one of the, the biggest screw-ups of CW is the reliance on sappy strings and annoying piano music. Sorry, guys. I said it. Yep. And, well, the composer from Batman the Animated Series was trained by Danny Elfman himself. Mm. I do want to point out, though, that it was the series was also um, uh, one of the other senior developers of it. Of Swamp Thing was Mark Varheiden, who worked on Smallville, um, who worked on um, uh, Constantine, who who wrote some uh, amazing Daredevil episodes in all three seasons. But he was also a regular writer, a co-executive producer, and this is how I know him of Battlestar Galactica, starting in season two when it went from a really good show to an all-time spectacular show. Uh, Verheiden was a major, major, major part of Battlestar Galactica season two, three, and four. He also was part of the show Heroes, which was somewhat misguided, but had tons of potential and was canceled too, too early. So he has had his hands in a ton of genre things, and it is too bad that Swamp Thing was not going to be renewed. Even though I'm not into horror or that property, it's most people I've heard online were very upset about that. I, yeah, but there's there's rumors going around that possibly HBO might pick up Swamp Thing for a season two because they want HBO wants to pick up Swamp Thing for some reason. Look, if Doom Patrol like, you know, blows their expectations away in terms of ratings and interest, anything is possible. Yep. They have a foot in the door with HBO, man. DC does. That's absolutely huge. And also HBO is also making the another DC show this year with uh, Watchmen, so Mm-hmm. We, we will see. You want, you, you're going to continue your little thing? Uh, oh, I guess that's... The, there's yeah, Harley, yeah. Then there's Harley Quinn and then there's Stargirl, which I know nothing about. Yeah, yeah We there's not a whole lot about Stargirl yet, and Harley Quinn, we just got a trailer. So. Alan Tudyk also, I guess, the same character. He, he's voicing uh, the Joker and Clayface. 
which are two major Batman villains. I mean, talk about a guy who never got enough roles, who was super famous for one role. He did a web series mocking himself for his lack of fame outside of Firefly, which he funded online and made millions of dollars and was very successful called Con Man with Nathan Fillion, which was excellent web series with all the nerds, including Zachary Levi that we've been mentioning who were in that show. And now after he did K2SO, it's like left and right. He's getting great roles, both live action and in voice. I'm just so happy for him. And you know me, Rogue One's my favorite um, ever. Uh, in genre movie and to get a Cassian show with him uh, it's just it's a dream come true I'm so happy for Alan Tudyk and also I forgot to mention he also voices Green Arrow on Young Justice so and a villain on Young Justice so there's that for him too Speaking of character actors who you would recognize but uh but not know their names um uh Diedrich Bader or Carl Diedrich Bader um, I don't know what his role. I'm assuming he's a bad guy in Harley Quinn. Uh, he's, he's hilarious, voiced. but he looks and acts so weird. It could go either way. He's actually voicing Batman. Real, oh, see, there you go. That's how talented these guys are. And you've got Christopher Maloney as, as James Gordon, J.B. Smoove, Jason Alexander, Giancarlo Esposito, Wanda Sykes, Vanessa Marshall. I mean, this is a spectacular cast. This is their big show. Harley Quinn has to hit it big with this cast. They must. Yeah, it's 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 a, they got pretty big talent for this animated show, and this this is so this is like their what I guess they were going to do for like the Deadpool animated show that got pulled too soon, which still hurts every day I talk about. It. <laughs> so is this Har- this will be the bridge? Is this Harley Quinn related to Margot Robbie? Uh, I th- I remember when they first announced that they wanted to get Margot Robbie to voice it, but yep. then I guess it fell through. And then, mm-hmm. but they got the what's well, the one who plays the ones who plays Penny from The Big Bang Theory to voice Harley. I think she just really wanted to be, you know, the the builder behind the Birds of Prey universe. And if that turns out to be good at all, then that'll be a good decision. Yeah. But I'm hoping. So this brings the big question, man, which is Marvel wants to connect everything, even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which they barely made references to the movies because the TV division. So basically what happened was there was a major split between Kevin Feige and the movies and the TV people um, who are way less talented and some of whom are bad people. Uh <laughs> like Isaac Perlmutter, who they've been trying to get rid of forever on television. Even Stan Lee wasn't involved in the TV stuff whatsoever. And so they were able to make little connections to Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Ultron, but then they went totally in humans, and it was the downfall of the entire franchise, unfortunately. But now that they're bringing the MCU directly to Disney+, Plus, they're erasing that, and sadly, man... I, know, I don't want to go back to Marvel because we got a couple DC topics and I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. I'm fine with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and, and Inhumans going away, but I'm not fine with all the Netflix shows going away. And that's really sad because they were uneven, but they were much better than they were given credit for. And the three seasons of Daredevil, for me, were mostly flawless television. Yes, it is the Dark Knight trilogy of the Netflix shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
Okay. You pick how to end it. You want to talk CW? Down, down, yeah, down, we'll, downward we'll, climb? We'll, yeah, we'll talk about Crisis. What do you make, we'll though? Talk. So you've got all these shows in DC Universe. Then you've got the CW. you got Gotham on Fox, right? And then you got Pennyworth on Epics. They're spreading their shows all over the place. And then there, some of them are also on HBO. Part of me thinks this is a brilliant idea. And part of me thinks this is, again, Warner Brothers panicking every and just being reactive to marvel and throwing shit against the wall but you know what sometimes throwing shit against the wall ends up having great results and spreading themselves around might not be the worst idea as opposed to being centralized on disney plus thoughts well i think after the epics thing was they you know not a lot of people talk about epics and they wanted to try to get into the superhero business so they probably came knocking at one of our store doors like we want a superhero show and so they got him. They got the creators of Gotham to make a, a another prequel show, and that's how we got Ed Worth. So I mean, I feel that <laughs> my father would never watch a show like Gotham. He would never be able to tolerate the CW. He even had trouble with characters like Karen Page and Daredevil, who was kind of a CW-ish character in some ways, at least at first. I tried to explain to him that compared to Laura Lance uh, and Candace Patton and some of the other characters, Karen Page was extremely complicated and interesting, um, and he would absolutely hate that part of the CW. He loves Pennyworth. He watches epics for other things, and he had just watched The Dark Knight, I guess, and it was just that perfect thing, and he's absolutely loving it. Yeah. Well, I've only seen the trailer of Pennyworth. I haven't got to watch the other shows because I have a lot of other shows to to catch up on, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first world problems there, so. <laughs> yeah, um... So, you know, I hear it's I've great as a show. Trailer. I don't know if it's a great DC show, but I've heard it as a television drama. It is dark, adult, and excellent. I've I've heard comparisons to it being DC's James Bond. So, mm. that has me excited cuz cuz the premise is that Alfred Pennyworth works for Thomas Wayne and he's supposed to be doing all these spy missions for him and stuff. So that well, he was a British, you know. He, I mean, for me, the greatest sort of thread in the Dark Knight is when, you know, Bruce Wayne just doesn't understand what's going on with the Joker. He doesn't get it, and Alfred has to tell him that story about when he was a soldier during World War II in Burma about the thief who would go around robbing people and 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 killing people, but they would find the gems everywhere. He wasn't even keeping the gems. And Bruce Wayne, uh, Christian Bale, uh, to, to, to Michael Caine says, why? And, and and Michael Caine has to explain to him, he says, Bruce, some people, like the Joker, just want the world to burn. They just want chaos, violence, unpredictability, but death and horror. And, and as the Joker says, and this is what I'm worried about with Joaquin Phoenix, man, because he's a very complicated actor is that the, the line of, of the Dark Knight that sums up that particular Joker, he says, I'm just a dog chasing cars around the time that he burns the entire stack of money because he doesn't give a crap about any of that stuff. I'm worried they're going to go into the killing joke. And among many things I hate about the killing joke 
uh, including the completely unnecessary near murder of Barbara Gordon, uh, is giving this like complicated pass to the Joker. I think it ruins the mystique of the Joker to have a pass to him. I like that he lies. He's constantly telling a different story about how his face got messed up. And so they're all lies or maybe one of them's the truth. And I'm worried they're going to go for like, this is the prequel to the Joker. And he's got this very complicated story and we feel bad for the Joker because he had a bad life. But you know, like to me, I prefer the just uh, Mark Hamill Joker or, uh, um, or Heath Ledger Joker. I don't know if you agree that that's going to happen or that you would like something like that. Well, in the Killing Joke, the past just does happen, but then in the in the story, he does say that pretty much he doesn't know what his real origin is, and if he wants an origin, he prefers it to be multiple choice. So you you can have more than one origin for the Joker, technically. So. But he's he's squeezed by modern economics in the story with his woman and everything. I mean. He's obviously loony, but they like give a reason, not an excuse, but they do give a reason about why he starts to go uh, off the deep end. To me, that's way less interesting than the Joker from the video games, the cartoons, and the Heath Ledger performance. Me personally, yeah, and and you know, you never now this this movie is they said is not based on any comics. It's Supposedly based on the king of comedy and taxi drivers, their influences for this movie. So, right, which we'll, is we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I always say, Christian Bale, they realized they realized in Batman Begins, they definitely realized in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises that they shouldn't try and shove Christian Bale into a portrayal of Batman. They should create a portrayal of Batman that's loyal but build it around Christian Bale. Because he's such a force of nature and one of the greatest actors of the last 20, 30 years. Um, And that was exactly why it was so successful commercially and critically. It sounds like that's what they're doing with Joaquin Phoenix. And that's why I think the Batverse man, to tie in Margot Robbie, uh, Birds of Prey, Batgirl, Batwing, whatever else comes out of this, that's what I want with, with, with the Batman universe, is just do its own thing in Gotham, separate it from everything else, make it dark, noir, you know, is it happening today? Is it happening in the 50s? Is it happening in the 30s? I love that feel of the Batman comics throughout the years. And that's how the Dark Knight felt. I mean, it was clearly modern with this technology and the way people talked, but they very much preserved the noir um, sensation of the whole thing. So if that's what they're doing with the Joker, uh, that's great. And it's not a coincidence. They're going back to the Christopher Nolan uh, formula of just creating a pocket that's not totally related, I guess. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's good, you know, because I think they want to call it um, DC Dark, where they want to do like their movies that may take place outside of the normal DC movies. So they might do like ones that are like, like what if this happened and stuff like the one that people want to do is Mm -hmm. uh, Superman red sun. They would like them to do if they, if, if Joker is success. So that would be interesting. Here's the problem. The problem is, man, all the studies show that the movies that make the highest profit margin either have an equal female co-lead, including Aquaman, um, 
or straight up lead like Wonder Woman. Look at Black Panther. Yes, T'Challa was nominally the main character. But everyone loved Shuri and all the women in Koye that were around him. Lupita, it was all women around him, right? Black Widow's getting her own movie next year. Apparently, Doctor Strange, they didn't want to give him his own movie. They needed some female star power, so they're putting Elizabeth Olsen in it. I mean, you know, if it, Wonder Woman made slightly less worldwide than Aquaman. Again, it made way more than this country because movies having to do with women and minorities uh, do much better in this country for reasons I don't want to get into right now. Um, but also spoke to the cultural zeitgeist. But Wonder Woman, based on the production budget, was way more profitable than Aquaman. They had to sink Avengers money and Avengers marketing money into Aquaman to get that billion. And they deserved every cent of that billion dollars. Absolutely. And even not seeing it, I'm sure I will enjoy it more than Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman. I couldn't even get past 15 minutes of Suicide Squad, even though I like the concept and the actors. Um, so God bless Aquaman for it. And so... You know, with Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro as the leads, I'm telling you right now, Wonder Woman for sure was going to outgross that movie. And if Birds of Prey is even an A minus, and they have some charisma with the Mar- Margot Robbie's handpicked young women, that at least profit wise, going to give it a run for its money. And I've, I mean, I didn't see Aquaman, but I've heard Amber Heard is a solid co-lead in that movie. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And his mom, played by Nicole Kidman, who everybody loves. Yeah, and she redeemed herself from being in the bad Batman Forever movie, so that's that's a win. <laughs> the diff- the fact that Justice League made seven hundred fifty million and should have made well over a billion, you know where I'm going with this. When they did yeah. the Joss Whedon reshoots, specifically bringing back Gal Gadot, I'm thinking there's rumors that Ben Affleck might be leaving. Everybody loves Wonder Woman. Literally, the movie just happened. Now they're doing Justice League reshoots. Make Wonder Woman the lead, at least the full co-lead, which she kind of was, but she should have been the 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 the, the voice that we were following and not sleepy old Ben Affleck. If they had pushed Gal Gadot to the front, that movie would have made well over a billion and gotten much better fan and critic reception, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it probably would have. Or they could have done what they what WB wanted, who they wanted as Batman, just gotten Josh Brown as Batman. Yep. Yeah, by the way, the one Star Wars movie, I mean, Amelia Clark was amazing in it, in Solo as Kira. I think the best part of that movie, and again, the biggest mistake was not pushing up Kira as a full co-lead. She's so lovable, even though she has to kind of betray him at the end, but she, she really has feelings for Han. But, you know, again, if they had pushed Kira up front, uh, maybe Solo would have done a lot better because literally every other Star Wars movie, whether it's Leia, Rey, or Jin, are the leads or the co-leads of the film. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it's it's not hard to, to, to put together, man, because you and I are going to see a good DC Marvel or Star Wars film no matter what, if we can. Women need a little prodding. It's just like romantic comedies. Like, men don't normally like romantic comedies statistically as much as women, but they will watch them because they love their girlfriends and their wives, hopefully. And the same goes the other way. But when you have Gal Gadot playing 
you know, the first major, again, DC beat Marvel, dude, by two full years with Wonder Woman. Two years. They beat Marvel with Wonder Woman. And it was like the women and girls of America united. And the men all went because it was fucking great. And we love Chris Pine. They had a great male character, too, you know? And the whole team of guys. But, like, it's not a hard equation, you know? Like, is this making sense? Yeah. I, I I just went just to see how the, the curiosity of how a Wonder Woman will, will translate into live action movie. So that's why I went. <laughs> Wait, Wonder Woman? She already translated into live action. Well, well, you know, I met her world. That's the thing. She doesn't need to connect to anyone. She's the most successful critically. And again, in terms of profit and cultural impact, that's why that was what I was saying early on about Black Widow is that Black Widow over time has become so loved um, and Scarlett Johansson is just such a liked actress by both men and women over the years and never has a bad performance, almost never takes a bad role. She doesn't need a lot of support to bring out people. I mean, the movie Lucy, which was very flawed, made like $600 million worldwide because of Scarlett Johansson. And the only reason Ghost in the Shell didn't make money was it actually did okay worldwide. Ghost in the Shell didn't make money in this country is because Ghost in the Shell is a weird fucking property that only super nerds like me know about or care about. And that's why I think Dune, as a side note, man, I don't know if you're a Dune guy. I want to believe Dune is going to be good. They have a spectacular cast and director and writer and so forth. I think it's going to fail because it's so fucking weird. Um, but... In Dune, the Bene Gesserit, the women, the witchy women, are, are the smart ones and the powerful ones. So, like, with The Witcher, The Witcher's going to do great because other than Geralt, all the empowered and cool characters are basically women in The Witcher. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm going off. Th- this is for the audience. You know my position on all this. I, I Look, I have a man crush on Evans. I have a man crush on Hemsworth. You know, like, I, 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 I love my awesome men in these movies. But the bottom line is... When it comes to comic book movies, uh, even more than Star Wars movies, you need to have women up front to get people to the box office. Otherwise, you don't get two billion for Infinity War and three billion for Endgame. Yeah. Yep. All right, pal. Yep. You ready to talk about crisis? Yeah. So let's 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 end on CW. Um, So again, really enjoyed first three seasons of Arrow. Tried to watch. Uh, Flash Supergirl at the same time got through two or three Supergirl seasons mostly because I like Benoist um, side note my question earlier about you know double casting these characters the fact that they may cast not Be- Melissa Benoist as Supergirl is horrifying and if any of the lead actors on television are going to make the transition to movie even if it's not a big budget movie it has to be Melissa Benoist she has the look the charisma the acting chops she's perfect for the role um, it may- that's that's what worries me if you want to have multiple Jokers and Batmans that's fine there's been a million over the years but Supergirl when you've established this character that really speaks to young girls and by the way it, dude uh, or for listeners, you know this. Listeners out there, Supergirl is an out-in-out liberal progressive shows. There's gayness. There's comments about immigration. 
uh, reform. You know, the aliens are are, are a very thin, uh, thinly, uh, thin reference, thinly veiled reference to immigration issues and Trumpism and so forth. It's a very left wing show, which is why in IMDb it has like a six point zero out of ten because all the haters voted down. Uh, but to me, Supergirl is by far, in terms of what it's trying to achieve, the and I don't watch Legends, but of the big th- other three, is the most successful over its three, four, five seasons or whatever in terms of doing what it's trying to achieve. Whereas Arrow nailed it right away, went straight downhill, and Flash I haven't seen enough to comment on. You on the CW, go. Uh, well, I, I, my, basically my end for the CW was Arrow because I, I, I watched Smallville for a few years and I caught it near the end of its run, so. And I remember they were talking about doing a spinoff for the Justin Hartley Arrow, and then mm. eventually became the Stephen Amell Arrow. So, which which was very interesting because <laughs> in the comics he's like a C or D level superhero. So, and yeah, and he's the one who's now started this uh, this what they call the flower of verse, which is the flash and arrow universe. So, and I, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Yeah. And and I think it's pretty good. I mean, from there we got, um, we'll start with arrow. And then season two, we introduced Barry Allen, the flash in, I think it was a two, a two part crossover episode. Which was also their Christmas episode for some reason, and that was a backdoor pilot for the Flash. And then, just, sorry, really quick side note, just so I'm clear. Other than a handful, and I'm I'm sorry, Katie Cassidy, I, I just don't find you appealing or charismatic. Um, for the most part. All of my problems with these series have nothing to do with the actors. And in fact, what I have liked about them has mostly had to do with the actors um, in general. I was really, actually, what really threw me off, Arrow, was was so clear starting in season four and season five that they were writing out Thea, who was one of my favorites. And I was like, all right, I mean, she's the most interesting female character. Now that White Canary is not on the show anymore. Like, fuck this, I'm out. No Nyssa, no Thea, I'm out. Well, um, I think the girl who wanted to play Fia didn't want to be on the show. She wanted to oh, yeah. do another project. I think that's what it was. She's out of acting right now, but she was a child actress. Actually, Steven Spielberg, uh, Willa Holland is her name. Uh, she, her family was family friends with Steven Spielberg. And, you know, I guess she was attractive and, you know, had skills of a very young age. So she was in like, you know, she was like one of those Disney girls, you know, she was in commercials and TV shows and stuff. So I think after all that and then the demands of Arrow and the ups and downs in way too many Arrow seasons, I don't blame her one bit. She made exactly the right move. I just hope she comes back in her, because she's still in her early 20s. I really hope she comes back in a big way um, and just kills it, because she's got tons of talent, and she's great looking and very charismatic. Well, her last last thing she acted in recently was she did voiceover work in Kingdom Hearts 3. So. Yep, that's correct. I didn't know that, because <laughs> she's one of my, gir- my, my bays. <laughs> 
She's great. She's fantastic. She she played the whiny emo girl uh, spoiled until she became speedy so well. That's really hard to do. Whereas they keep trying to make Laura Lance likable through the writing, and it's just not working. And 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 for me, Arrow had like like three great villains, which would be Malcolm Merlin. Yep, Deathstroke. And I know you didn't see this season, but. Prometheus was mm, not great, right? Because he's he's kind of like um, Taskmaster, where he's like he copies people's skills. I guess didn't they introduce Prometheus in season five? He's the, like the black, yeah, that's, the black yeah, era, yeah, right? He was the main. He was the main villain in season five. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he's like the the black. He's the guy in all black and voiced by. Uh, Mm-hmm. Malcolm Merlin's the best by far because of the family connections, because of his crazy past, but also because he's more a Loki villain than a out and out James Bond type villain who are just bad guys. He's you know he keeps giving you reasons, especially because he's trying to get Thea on his side as his daughter and so forth. You know the best villains like Loki and Malcolm Merlin, and you know there are some others for sure. You, you, you just even Killmonger and Black Panther, you know, give you enough reason to like briefly, you know, consider their side as opposed to just, you know, Deathstroke was just in, you know, like uh, he was just constantly screaming and angry. And so when he was the bad guy, I was like, okay, he's the bad guy. For me, I like Deathstroke because, you know, it's like the Ra's al Ghul Batman Begins thing, you know, the former student goes against his fights his former teacher. No, no, because Roz has an ancient and very complicated ideology the way the hand does in the Netflix series. In fact, Netflix stole so much with the with the ninja fighting and Electra and Daredevil and the hand, the color, the red colors, the style of fighting, you know, I mean, it, it was to me it was clearly influenced by especially season three of Arrow, all the League of Assassins stuff influenced the daredevil stuff the problem was daredevil could go full dark adult violent in a way that arrow did in the first season at times and then got away from but malcolm merlin and raz al ghul are much more interesting to me again because they have old long complicated motives and ideologies that's just my preference for villains and why i never really like thanos and it took me a while to get used to the fact that thanos from the past was going to be the villain after Thanos from the present <laughs> was the villain. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of confusing when you think about it. <laughs> Flash 2, um, the science nerds, great. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Cisco Ramon, a.k.a. 5, and then you have Kate Winslow. Daniel Panabaker, but they yeah, made them Kate both Wins- superheroes or supervillains. Well, Kate Winslow in the comics is a supervillain called Killer Frost, yep. which they did for like a season, and then they made her a good guy for the rest of the show. So. I know how it is in the comics, but this was the problem, is on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Chloe Bennett in season one and two was so much more likable as hacker turned S.H.I.E.L.D. good guy who could do some martial arts and some hacking skills even with some light superpowers. But once she became Daisy and then full inhuman, 
It's the same thing with giving, making Thea Queen speedy and Laura Lance Black Canary. They don't know what to do with these women, and so they make them into superheroes. And that's what I love about Karen Page and Daredevil, for example. Or even for the most part, I know Trish Walker does some crazy stuff with Jessica Jones, but for the most part, Claire Temple learns how to defend herself, you know. But the women who aren't superheroes, like Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing, they write them as complicated women who are empowered and help without having to have superpowers or superheroes. But I know I know Killer Frost is from the comics, so I'm not gonna hate on that. The vibe thing, I, I, I never really vibed with the vibe thing, so to speak. But it, what's his name is is clearly the star of the show. Um, uh, Grant, Grant Gustin. No, 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 no. Like the the. the Oh, 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 um, Mc, uh, Tom, Tom Kavanaugh. Yeah, Cap Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yep, Kavanaugh was yeah, the yeah, reason yeah. I stayed through that show like two plus seasons. Was Kavanaugh? Yeah, he plays like nineteen versions of the same yeah. character. He did the orphan black thing where he kept playing different versions of himself. It was great. Yeah, he. So in the first season, he the they found out he was the villain who killed Barry's mom. Who was he? Was the Reverse Flash. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically the Flash's Joker, in a way. So, and he he keeps popping in for many seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was in last he he was the Reverse Flash last season, mm-hmm. and he was the Reverse Flash during the Crisis on Earth X crossover. I just want to point out that even when Barry Allen hits like five thousand miles an hour. That's like point zero 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 one percent of how fast you'd have to go to create anything like a time warp. Just saying. Yeah, but it's comic books. Well, so who fucking cares? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's all make believe. I know. So, yeah, I mean, and- look, in Endgame, they make fun of the fact that the time travel is going to be like Back to the Future, and then it's exactly like Back to the Future. They give up on science. It makes zero sense. Yeah, and um, you know, he, I, they have a lot of. He has a lot of like abilities in the comics where he he can run fast enough to break the time barrier mm-hmm. and go back. And he uh, he can make copies of himself so much so that in the third season the main villain was an evil copy of the Flash. <laughs> so, so I yeah. I would watch. Up until maybe a year ago, I would continue to watch the crossovers, even when yeah. I stopped watching the shows. Because again, I love the superhero team up formula, but mostly because it mixes things up. You've got Sarah and Alex hooking up. You got you know you got Grant Gustin and, and Stephen Amell getting to like talk to each other as mutual superheroes. You know they can't normally relate to anybody. You know what I mean? The science nerds all love talk. You know, Felicity talks to talks to the science nerds. I mean, it's just it just mixes things up. Whether it's a musical or not, the wedding episode. I mean, not to mention, not to mention, dude. I make fun of CW for being super cheesy, but Marvel has never confronted the Holocaust as directly as that particular Earth X thing, where they were specifically rounding up Jews and gays and killing them. Even Captain America never talks about con- directly about concentration camps, killing Jews, uh, gypsies, Catholics, uh, and, and so forth. And they, they nailed it head on in the scene where uh, Olo- like Oliver Prime saves uh, Felicity X. 
I was in absolute tears and just thinking about it gives me chills. That that was maybe the last major CW event I watched. I was super impressed. I did a long podcast with the Australians about it who love that stuff. Um, so it has its moments. Um, I just wish they had the freedom. But again, now with the various different outlets, Epics, HBO, and so forth, they can go more adult, which is great. And this year we're going to get a, I think it's like a five or six part crossover of Crisis Good. on Infinite Cool. And, and that one, if I may, kind of got teed up in last year's crossover with a otherworldly being called the Mother who was testing Earths hmm. for a crisis hmm. with, by handing a crazy doctor a book who can write realities. So in the crossover, he made Oliver the Flash and Barry Allen the Green Arrow. So that was the big crossover last year. So I'm going to give my final thought about CW and I'll give you final, final thought and we'll wrap up. Thank you so much for staying on. Um, that we always go longer than than expected, but I love my long podcasts and the people who listen apparently like at least some of my long podcasts. So thank you all out there and thank you so much, sir. Um, my final thought, and I've said this from the beginning, is if you put Arrow on Netflix with what D- Daredevil could do with almost the exact cast, definitely Emily Bett Rickards, uh, Stephen Amell, you know, hopefully uh, Willa Holland would have stayed. Um, I would, you know, obviously replace Katie Cassidy with, um, uh, I was, I should say I would replace Laura Lance with, with Sarah Lance, uh, who was much more effective in her short time on the show than Laura Lance ever was. Uh, now part of that is just because, um, uh, what's the actress who plays Sarah Lance? Um, uh, Katie Lotz. Katie Lotz is just unbelievably charismatic and fun to watch. Um, so she is the main lead on Legends of Tomorrow, right? Which wasn't the plan originally, but they realized almost immediately that she was the lead. Clearly, um, and uh, if I'm just saying, if you put Arrow, but with the directors, producers, and so forth, that not only do um, uh, you know Daredevil and, and those shows, but who do shows like The Witcher um, or, you know, um, you know, Peaky Blinders, Orange is New Black, like, like dark indie directors, men, women, old, young. And because Arrow in the comics, dude, again, he kills people. I mean, I don't know what's going on. In Star Wars, good guys die, bad guys die. They're killing each other. We see the consequences of violence. DC does it more than Marvel. Marvel refuses to kill people outside the Winter Soldier. You know, Avengers 3 and 4 was supposed to be such high stakes, but like in the end, everyone comes back to life except for Tony and Natasha, essentially. So what are the stakes? You know, got to set the stakes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, in Arrow, that's what I'm saying. It's, yes, is Arrow an A-level character in the comics? Not necessarily, but there's some great runs. And do the long bow hunters where he's kind of a you know, dark narcissistic character who will kill people on occasion and not think twice about it. That's really interesting to me because again, you know, daredevil's Messiah complex mixed with his, I'm never going to kill anyone gets annoying, but that's why they brought in Frank Castle, the Punisher to play off of him. So they could have that philosophical conversation. And And arrow, as I say, in season two, 
they immediately everyone around him is constantly criticizing him for how he's doing his job and so forth. And I, I that was the beginning of the end was the just constant making Arrow feel bad for everything. Right. Well, and the thing about the comics too is my favorite run is the run where he's like, he is mayor of star city and it leans more into his political views and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my problem with, one of my problems when I used to watch Air, when I watched Arrow was every every time they had to make Oliver keeps always keep secrets from people who, let's be honest, he could have just told them right away and they would have been probably fine. But they they had to keep the drama for him not telling someone something all the time, and that mm-hmm. kind of bugged me all the time about that show. Hmm. Well. I will say, Birds of Prey could go either direction, but Margot Robbie is a brilliant acting mind, and so I'm hoping that translates to produ- to being a producer. Um, let's say Birds of Prey is pretty good. Let's say it's like Shazam, where it's like sort of lower budget, but does better than people expect. Wonder Woman is going to blow up. It's going to, I mean. Black Widow's going to make over a billion, and then a month later, Wonder Woman's going to make over a billion. It's going to be very tough for that not to happen. And then you got the Batman and Suicide Squad with James Gunn in 2021. Batman, obviously, um, with Matt Reeves and the new casting. If they nail Wonder Woman, the Batman, and Suicide Squad 2, man, they'll, they're fully back on track, especially after Wonder Woman 1, Aquaman, and Shazam. So the movie future looks bright. I never, I, I'm pretty, I have a pretty good average predicting movie trends. I have no idea how to predict TV trends, especially with the streaming media stuff. So it was really great to hear you talk about it because it's so confusing to me. Yeah. And before, and before we get off the subject of uh, these um, CW, I'm just very excited that we're finally going to get Kevin Conroy as a live action Bruce Wayne in the crisis crossover. All right, man. Well, it's yeah. tradition that uh, the guest gets the final thought. So, final thought on DC, comic book movies in general, nerd properties, a- anything you want. Yeah. So, final thought. Well, we have a, you know, we're, we're, we're gearing towards the end of Arrow. So, it should be interesting to see what the CW is going to do forward if the Arrowverse is now dead and dusted. Or if it's mm-hmm. now going to become the the Flash verse or the Supergirl verse or something. So after Crisis, maybe it'll just become the CW verse. Who knows? <laughs> so it should be interesting to see mm-hmm. what they're going to do with uh, mm-hmm. Crisis or what I call uh, the Arrowverse MD. So really quick, I know. You're supposed to have the last word, but it reminded me because I'm looking at the comics right now. I mentioned Supergirl, but I have the crossovers with Batgirl and Supergirl, which shouldn't work. But you know who else are best friends in the comics in Marvel? Jessica Jones and Captain Marvel, who have totally different power sets, but because they're both extremely young 
and extremely disturbed in their own ways, but also very smart, but very complicated. They really relate to each other. And Carol and Jessica are best buds in the comics. And Batgirl and Supergirl, I know in the rebirth, is is aimed towards teenagers. It's, it's not my favorite, but they have great chemistry despite their power level differences um, because Batgirl helps keep Supergirl grounded and Supergirl brings the muscle. Another reason to bring Batgirl to TV, again, it's one thing to bring actors between movies and television. It'll be interesting to see, like, can we bring Melissa Benoist to DC Universes or HBO or just a little bit of a more um, higher profile or into another universe? I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if, if, if they have a plan. I don't know if you have a sense. DC fans have a sense. But I think DC fans are at the point where they just want good content and they don't care about continuity, whereas Marvel fans are so spoiled by the MCU continuity that they're constantly nitpicking it and it kind of annoys the crap out of me sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Just like the Star Wars fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see what happens because uh, I guess um, for Batwoman this year, they are saying that Supergirl may cross over a few times throughout the show this season. So it should be interesting what happens with, uh, mm-hmm. with all the uh, CW shows and stuff. And now mm-hmm. because of crisis, they're saying that black lightning's now going to cross over into the Arrowverse. I guess now. And I will say star Wars, which you know, is my number one love no matter what is going more the DC direction than both t- television and film especially film and then the Marvel direction in that both the Ryan Johnson tr- movies slash trilogy and the game of Thrones guys movie slash trilogies are going to be set in completely different time periods and have loose connections at best to like the Skywalker stuff. It'll probably be Jedi Sith stuff because that's part of Star Wars, but it's going to be in completely different times, either way in the past with the old Republic or way in the future and something we've never seen before. Um, and so, which I'm happy about, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for the past to die, <laughs> you know, kill the past, let it die, as Kylo Ren says. I- I'm 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 happy to end the Skywalker saga as much as I love it because Rogue One's my favorite, and I really liked Han Solo, and I'm looking forward to more movies that aren't just dependent on uh, Skywalkers swinging lightsabers at each other. <laughs> yep. Are you excited for Episode Nine? Final question. Um. Yes, I am because it, 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 it's the movie that's gonna supposedly wrap up everything, and I'm hoping JJ can pull it off because he's good at making the mystery box. He's not usually good at solving the mystery box. But so then I'm it's very- not a mystery, and you're not thinking about it. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, just, you know, it's I'm, I'm, I, I should. We'll see how he how he wraps this all this the skywalker trilogy up mm-hmm. so it's be very interesting absolutely absolutely and if there's one thing um that we know whether it's avengers endgame or return of the king based on the billion or billions that those movies made final movies made is that audiences have no pl- problem sitting through three plus hour movies if they're amazing and it's the final movie and so 
I say there's no way this movie's less than two hours and 45 minutes. And after Avengers, no one gave a crap $3 billion that it was three hours. I, I would not be shocked if, it, if it's close to three hours. And you know what? That's what I want because we're not going to get all that wrap up you're talking about without a three hour movie. So, okay, man. Well, this was awesome. This went long, which I'm thrilled about, but it also opened up doors for future conversations. If, if you ever, I hope you come back on. There's lots to talk about and you got me interested in, in some of these shows. And so maybe I'll actually, be able to talk coherently about them next time. So thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, final word, go ahead. Uh, thank you for wanting me on. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind coming back on if you would want me to. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk off air the next couple weeks about like what shows I should watch, like Doom Patrol for sure I should watch, Young Justice I think I should watch. Harley, I have to watch based on the voice talent. So we'll come up with a plan because I want to watch DC – just not the CW. So this alternative is looking very promising to me. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe if I have I have a digital code, so maybe maybe I can send you a digital code for the season one of Titan since it's now on uh, Blu-ray. And by the way, people who think I'm just throwing shit at DC with CW, Jessica Jones is my favorite Marvel character, and Jessica Jessica Jones season one is my favorite uh, t- television season of all time. I couldn't even get through a couple episodes of either season two or three. So I just go with what I like, people, okay? Um, and it doesn't affect that I like the characters and the actors in particular. Um, so, and there's, like you said, man, there's so much content. There's so much to keep up with. So it's a crazy world that we live in. So, okay, thank you so much. Um, it, uh, uh, Guys, if you uh, want to communicate, you should come join the Bizzlecast Facebook group. And if you are civil and you know cool and don't cause the ruckus, you can get in conversations uh, with me and and uh, uh, Jason and a few other people who are active. Um, on the page we've got about 500 followers which is super cool um and uh yeah it's been great talking with you uh, man over the uh the years and i look forward to more conversations me too awesome all right thank you jason thank you bizzlecast listeners and may the force be with you but for now the bizzlecast is out <laughs>